Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. DJ Stax from Stax Me Productions on the ones and twos. I got money in my pocket, ain't nobody gon' take it. Middle finger to the people who told me that I won't make it. When you kill them at the top, everybody gon' hate it. I'm one time cry for me, all the bad girls make it. I got money in my pocket, ain't nobody gon' take it. Middle finger to the people who told me that I won't make it. When you kill them at the top, everybody gon' hate it. I'm one time cry for me, all the bad girls that's how we do it, 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 I'ma go in, that's how we do it, that's how we do it, vigilante ladies, I know you asking about me, a lot of cams in the spot but they don't flash without me, 5'11 skinnies, and I sag them proudly, you gon' have to dance to get this cash about me, pockets full, money greener than the gold light, Couple chains turn me to a walking strobe light. Keep on wishing, I see you in the distance. All these haters put my finger in a vertical position. Stick to the budget that you can't afford. 100k on some threads, that's when I'm bored. Throw 
some money up and make it pour on the poor. The type of swagger that you can't ignore. But then the robber that dudes do this ain't what they used to. Don't compare me to artists that can't produce too. Ha. Never going back to the old me. This is when you mix bars with a dope. I got money in my pocket, ain't nobody gon' take it. Little finger to the people who told me that I won't make it. When you're chillin' at the top, everybody gon' hate it. I'm on now one drive for me, all the bad girls take it. That's how we do it, that's how we do it. That's how we do it, that's how we do it. That's how we do it, that's how we do it. I got women and they nudity Swimming in the pool with me Toting heavy toolery I'm not with that foolery Trying to be humble but the best is who I prove to be I'm just writing raps and writing other rappers eulogies I told her make it So she made it I'll never be tried Mess with me I'ma make it See I'm about mine See I'm about mine Play with mines I guarantee you get an outline You ready to stand still See me I grant heal I can add up all your work and make a landfill I'm immaculate, you're less than adequate I'm trying to turn a K into an M just like a magic trick Mind of a genius, I feel so alone Whipping in the forum with the top blown My pockets look like I just got a loan Now the girlies won't leave me alone I got money in my pocket, ain't nobody gon' take me Little finger to the people who told me that I won't make it When you're chillin' at the top, everybody gon' hate it All my number five for me, all the bad girls make it home That's how we do it, that's how we do it That's how we do it, that's how we do it That's how we do it, that's how we do it I got money in my pocket, ain't nobody gon' take a middle finger to the people who told me that I won't make it. When you're chillin' at the top, everybody gon' hate it. I'm on number five for me, all the bad girls make it home. That's how we do it. 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 Welcome to the Racing to Success Minute with Nadine Lajoie. When you will die, how do you want to be remembered? Which kind of legacy you will leave on this planet? With the passing of Nelson Mandela, that really reminds all of us that we really need to live fully whatever happened in our life and live a legacy. And Mandela really live a legacy of integrity, courage, leadership, and how to forgive. What is the legacy you want to live for your friends, for your employees, for your family? 
and for the world. Remember, we are not on this planet just for us. And Nelson Mandela was definitely one of the greatest leaders that we ever known and really live a legacy like he did. My name is Nadine at NadineRacing.com. Okay, we are back here on the Jiggy Jig while you show. Speaking with Greg, I don't want to butcher that last name. I'm going to let you say it. It's Kalika. Kalika. Oh, well, that's not as bad. No, it's not as bad as it looks. <laughs> you are the host of Pro Karate Weekly, correct? Correct. We, uh, we go out every Wednesday night. Also the promoter of, of Little Event. I wouldn't say Little by some of the guys you've got on it this weekend. Uh, or is it next weekend? It's uh, June 10th, actually. Oh, June 10th. Okay. Yeah, it's a couple weeks away, and um, yeah, it's going to be a great event here in, in Cleveland, Ohio, the Scene Pavilion um, in the Flats District, which uh, I'm sure pretty much everybody's familiar with. Oh, yeah. Should be uh... a loaded fight card. Um, you know, we're very excited about it. Uh, give us a little rundown on it. Yeah, we're gonna. Uh, it's, it's a gladiators fighting series event, um, which is uh, you know a great organization here uh, throughout the country. They do events in uh, Milwaukee and Illinois, um, Ohio, of course, uh, and, and we've expanded into Canada. Um, and this one, June 10th, Fight Night in the Flats 2, is going to be our biggest event to date um, in the 10 years that, that we've been uh, doing gladiators events. Uh, 16 wow. fights total. We're going to have 10 pro bouts uh, with some very familiar names to, uh, to mixed martial arts fans. Dan the Bull Bobish, uh, who is a UFC veteran, has fought uh, overseas for pride, is the former King of the Cage super heavyweight champion. Um, this guy only weighs about 300 pounds of solid muscle, and uh, needless to say, he's uh, fighting for our super heavyweight title against another 300-pounder, Eric Knox, who uh, trains with uh, Team Hammerhouse, Mark Coleman, and those guys in Columbus. That's one of our featured matchups, but we have three other title fights that night, um, including Jason Steeltown Taylor out of Pittsburgh. Wow. Currently undefeated. He's uh, one of the best lightweights in the sport, period. Um, along with Ryan the Lion Madigan, he's uh, well-known in the kickboxing circles, currently fights uh, for Chuck Norris in the World Combat League. He's decided to make the crossover and, and uh, compete in mixed martial arts, and he's making his debut in the cage on June 10th. Wow. I, I'll tell you, that, that bull bobish guy. Wow. <laughs> I've seen that guy fight a few times. He is somebody you do not want to be scrolling with. Yeah, he's, uh, he, he's a fierce competitor, and, um, you know, he was a two-time All-American wrestler in college. And, um, you know, you, you really couldn't find a better fit for, uh, for his personality, and uh, obviously his look is, is perfect for the sport. We're just, you know, thrilled to have him on the card, and, um, you know, like you said, anybody that's seen this guy fight, um, you know, knows that it, it's definitely worth the price of admission to yeah. protect this guy on action. How did you guys secure his services for this well, luckily, um, Dan work, uh, lives and trains in Cleveland, Ohio. Oh, really? Um, so, yeah, we've been fortunate enough to have uh, some ties to him throughout the past few years. Of course, he's been on PKW to promote events. And, uh, you know, with this being right in his backyard, it was, it was kind of uh, mutually beneficial. Of course, he gets to fight in front of his hometown fans for a title. And, um, you know, we get a world-class caliber fighter on our card. And, uh, of course, everybody wins, the promoters, the fans, and... Uh, and Dan, so like I said, we're we're pumped about it, and uh, I can't wait for June tenth to get here. Is this gonna is this event just gonna be exclusive? You got to be there to see it, or are you guys gonna do some type of DVD or online? 
Oh yeah, it'll it'll definitely come out on DVD. Um, we've got a production team, uh, a great nice. production team, and all of our events are released on DVD. So that'll be available. Uh, I'm guessing probably towards uh, September, October of this year. Um, we are also working right now to try to get uh, a deal done with the Sports Talk Network um, and possibly webcast the fight for the fans that, that might not be able to make the trip into Cleveland. Um, yeah, we don't know if that's going to get done in time for June 10th, but definitely by uh, our October and December shows we'll have that uh, available for the fans. Wow. You guys, you've been promoting this event for 10 years, you said? Well, this is our second show in Cleveland, but uh, the Gladiators Fighting Series, Duke Rufus, uh, former oh, boxing world champion, uh, yeah, he founded this series 10 years ago. It started, in, <coughs> excuse me, in Milwaukee. Um, you know, at, at that time it was all kickboxing and, uh, you know, higher-level kickboxing, a lot of K-1 fighters and whatnot. Um, and over the years it's kind of evolved into, uh, you know, in, into both, really. We do kickboxing um, as well as mixed martial arts now. And, of course, with MMA being uh, as big as it is nationally yeah. and, you know, with the television <laughs> exposure, it's worked out well for us. So, um with this, how many events do you promote a year? Um, the Gladiators Fighting Series does uh, between 10 to 14 events nationally, well, internationally, actually, yeah. uh, throughout the year. We do four here in Cleveland, um, two of them at the, uh, at the outdoor pavilion, which, uh, again, we're doing here June 10th, and then we do two indoor shows in Cleveland. And, you know, pretty much everywhere we go, uh, the Gladiators events sell out. Um, you know, it's top-level competition very organized and uh, well-run events, uh, professional. We treat the fans first rate. We treat the fighters first rate. And, um, you know, the fans always get their money's worth. It's, it's just a great time, and, uh, you know, we're happy to be affiliated with the promotion. So for people who are new to the sport as far as uh, your, your events go, what, do you guys do everything in a ring, is it in a cage? It's in a cage. It's in uh, a six-sided cage. Um, you know, we, we do uh, UFC rules, basically. Uh, you know, elbows are allowed, knees are allowed. Um, you know, we use the four-ounce mixed martial arts gloves. It's just basically as, as seen on TV. And, um, you know, we're also working here in Ohio. There's uh, a company, Sports Time Ohio, which is uh, broadcasting the, the Cleveland Indians games here throughout the state. So we're talking to those guys about uh, possibly putting the Gladiators fighting series on television. But wow. Yeah, that, that's down the road. Um, yeah. For now, again, we're just uh, focusing on, on building our series. Um, and and the, the biggest difference between us and, and some of the other organizations, we take more of the grassroots approach. Um, you know, we promote uh, through our fighters, and we try to build our fighters as opposed to the organization. Yeah. And uh, we feel that, you know, that's allowed the fans to get closer to the fighters and the, and the series and, uh, you know, has allowed us to, uh, to continue to expand. Well, Greg, for, for people who are not... Uh, who, who are in the fighting and, and all that, what, what steps do you guys do uh, to put an event together? Well, that's, uh, <laughs> that's a long process. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, people I don't think realize how much work and time and effort that goes into planning one of these shows, um, you know, regardless of, of the level. If you're doing it at a 10,000 seat venue or a 1,500 seat venue, it's, it's a lot of work. Um, but to be honest, uh, it all depends on the fighters. I think the most important part of doing a show like this is the matchmaking. Um, you know, if, if you put a product um, in the ring, and I, I don't want to call the fighters products, but, you know, let's, let's face it, it's, you know, it's, it's basically a service to the fans. That's what the fans are paying money to see. Um, you know, if you can put two fighters in there that are going to put on a good show, um, 
you know, it, 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 that, that's really all that the fans are looking for. And that's easier said than done. Uh, you have to have a lot of knowledge about the sport, about the fighters that you're dealing with. And, uh, you know, we, we, we go all out as far as the venue, our production level. Um, you know, we spend no expense, no expense to, uh, you know, to make sure that everybody that's involved and that comes out to see one of our events um, is, is going to want to come back. And uh, we feel that we've accomplished that. Now, you mentioned that uh, you're hooked up with the Gladiator Fight Series and Duke Rufus. Do they have any type of, do they provide you any type of help or do they just stick their name on it? <laughs> oh, no, Duke is uh, actually our main ring announcer for our shows here in Cleveland. Oh. Um, he's, you know, definitely hands-on. Him and uh, Scott Zaffi, he's, um, you know, another of, uh, of uh, the higher-ups with the Gladiators fighting series. Uh, you know, they, they've been great. They've helped us basically from, uh, from day one as, as far as the way to go about promoting the series, um, you know, helping us. Uh, match make and, and uh, you know they've been great like I said Duke is actually present at the event he's the main ring announcer um, you know he always spends time talking to the fans signing autographs so that's you know the perk uh, you know for people that do come out and see the show last year UFC middleweight champion Rich Franklin uh, came out and made an appearance wow. uh, George Grizzell from the Ultimate Fighter um, we're expecting Mark Coleman and Stephen Bonner to appear this year so you know, it's not just what goes on in the cage, it's there's, um, you know, a festive-like atmosphere throughout the event, the venue, and of course the pavilions, the, the team pavilions, it's right on Lake Erie, it's an outdoor venue, um, perfect backdrop for, uh, for a fight show, and, um, you know, just make sure you guys come out June 10th, you're not going to want to miss it. Well, I'll tell you, just, uh, just from the, from the figure itself, <laughs> to the descriptions of some of the fighters, it, it is going to be an exciting little event. And, I, yeah. and from what you can tell, it's not really all that little. No, it's not. Um, you know, last year was, again, our first time in Cleveland. We had uh, a little over 2,000 people attend the inaugural show. And really, that wasn't with a lot of promotion. We kind of wanted to get our feet wet in this market and, and see what the reaction would be. Um, you know, this year, we're already about 85% uh, percent to capacity. We're expecting to sell out 5,000 people, um, you know, just rocking that place. And uh, believe me, it's going to be loud. It's going to be frenzied. And... Um, going to be one hell of a show. Do you have to go through any athletic commissions when you set these up? Or yes. Yes. Um, you were fortunate enough to, uh, you know, to be sanctioned by the Ohio Athletic Commission. Uh, commission. We work hand-in-hand uh, with them to assure, you know, of course, the, uh, the safety of our fighters and fans. Uh, we take all precautions necessary. And again, it's, you know, it adds to the credibility of the event if um, everybody involved knows that it's a sanctioned event. And, um, you know, we, we, we really don't want to, um, you know, take any chances. Again, the yeah. sport's new, it's in its infancy stages, and, you know, um, a serious injury could be a, a, a big setback in this stage. So we definitely uh, do what we have to do to get the event sanctioned. Do you guys assign the referees, or is that the athletic commission? The athletic commission yeah. assigns referees, the judges, timekeepers, scorekeepers. Um, they're all certified, of course, and, and they do know the sport. And um, really, Ohio is, is kind of, along with uh, with Nevada, has kind of set the standard for uh, for mixed martial arts. Um, Ohio is the first state to actually sanction and approve amateur mixed martial arts. And um, I know uh, me affiliated with Pro Karate Weekly, they're also working with the North American Amateur Fight Series, which is really the first national um, organization to uh, to try to establish the amateurs as far as mixed martial arts goes, which yeah, is, you know, there's nothing there, hardly. Yeah, that's, that's the future of the sport. I mean, right now, 
you know, every major sport, baseball, football, basketball, they have a minor league foundation, so to speak, where, you know, the, the up-and-coming talent can, can work and improve and, and kind of get a taste of, of what it's about to, uh, to step on, you know, the professional level, oh, and yeah. that's what the NAAFF is doing. Well, with uh, you being involved with Pro Karate Weekly and uh, everything, for people who are not familiar with the program, give us a little background on that as well. Yeah, PKW Live is um, a big an internet radio show. We air uh, every Wednesday night on uh, sportstalkcleveland.com. Uh, you can also hear us pretty much anywhere on the planet if you log on to uh, the ProKarateWeekly.com. We air live from 7 to 9 p.m. Um, we cover anything and everything that is mixed martial arts and, and kickboxing. Um, we feature live interviews every Wednesday, and, and we allow the fans to kind of interact with the fighters, um, you know, the biggest names in the sports, uh, come on to PKW and uh, preview fights. They talk about uh, training regiments. And um, it's really been a successful show. We've been on the air for about three years. And, um, cool. you know, we, we just, uh, you know, locked ourselves in with Sports Talk Cleveland for another couple years. And, um, you know, we're happy about uh, the whole direction that uh, this whole thing is headed. Well, with the, uh, your event coming up soon and then uh, UFC 60, what are your thoughts on Hughes Grayson? <laughs> well, we're actually going to be uh, hearing from Hoyt Stacey on TKW here, hopefully, this week. We wow. had Matt Hughes on last Wednesday, and, um, you yeah, know, he was very confident, uh, of course, as he should be, being uh, the welterweight champion. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think right now, uh, from, uh, from our listeners, the emails and the phone calls that we've gotten and the people that I've talked to, a lot of people are not giving Hoyt Stacey enough of, uh, of a chance here. They seem to forget that, um, you know, he's basically the man that... Uh, Brought the sport to the forefront, and uh, yeah, best an artist in the planet, bar none. And I don't know how you can underestimate him and count him out. Matthews is a great, great champion and um, has redefined uh, the welterweight division. But I look for this to be a really close fight, and um, I would not be surprised if uh, Horse Grace hung in there long enough to, uh, you know, to, to, to allow Hughes to make a mistake and possibly win by submission. So this is what uh, John McCarthy of the Open Fighting Championship brought up last week. We talked to him, and that is that Hoyt, you know, everybody's not giving him enough of a shot on this. Right. It just yeah. needs to be uh, a thing. I don't know if it's the fact that, because I've talked to some people at my local gym, and they're like, what? Oh, they mention uh, Hugh Grace here. I mentioned Hugh Grace. They just talk, and they're like, crazy? What is he? Sexy? <laughs> Not quite. He's definitely getting up there. But, you know, people tend to forget horses that, um, you know, just, he didn't go away after uh, the early UFC. Well, see, this is the thing. A lot of people that, that aren't involved with the sport don't realize he went to Pride. He went to Pride. Right. Granted, some of those fights were a little strange. The, uh, <laughs> the Akibono fight and some of these others. But yeah, I mean, he's still, you know, he, he's... He's been tested. He hasn't been tested the, the way that Matt Hughes has, but uh, believe me, Hoist is going to be ready for this matchup. And uh, forget what the odds makers say. I, I know, um, I think BetOnFighting.com opened the, uh, the odds for this fight at, at Hughes uh, being a 3-1 to one favorite. Um, oh, I, I, wow. I don't see it right now. <laughs> if you guys are in, into the MMA gaming, um, you know, go, go waste some money on Hoist. And, um, you know, I think he's got a, a really good chance. I, I see this as a 50-50 fight. And, um... You know, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to uh, seeing how it plays out Saturday night. Do you think it's the case, and John McCarthy wouldn't really get into this, and I can see why he wouldn't get into this, because this is sort of borderlining bashing Zufa, but 
I find it strange just from the, the old, and, and I kind of look at it like with uh, Vince McMahon and what he did with uh, WCW in professional wrestling. It seems like the UFC, the new UFC, Zufa, has been trying to like, I don't know if you'd say kill or destroy the old guys from the, <laughs> the, the, the company, but it seems like they brought in Shamrock, they got his ass beat. Like Tito, that's such a stupid Leo. The people want to see and that they have on their roster. They went, oh, jujitsu guys. Yeah, I think there is a little something to that. Um, like you said, I think with the new UFC, they are trying to take a little bit away from the WWE. Um, and I think yeah, they need such to a start building you know, personas for some of the fighters and whatnot. And I also think they are trying to... I love it. 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 The of the past. Yeah, I think we're going to do Jiggy Jang TV. The sport is, is new. This, you know, there's yeah. a new breed of fighters now. Um, you know, it, it's time that, uh, that people step up and take notice. And as far as Tank and, and uh, Ken Shamrock, you know, I think the UFC didn't intend on bringing these guys in to necessarily um, go out the way that they did. Especially with Ken, I think they were expecting a little bit more from him, especially with his last uh, matchup with Rich Franklin. Uh, yeah. I, I don't think anybody expected that. But that being said, I think, um, you know, it's allowing them to the new bases of the UFC. I mean, you know, that fight with Ken Shamrock really put Rich Franklin on the map. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and at the same time, Chuck Liddell, who's been around since, you know, arguably the earlier UFC days, not, you know, UFC 1, yeah. 2, or 3, but, you know, he, he had a presence in the early UFCs, and he's still around, and a guy that they're obviously trying to build. So I think it's a little bit both. Um, you know, they're taking a little bit from both worlds, and, um, you know, really it's all about the marketing right now. And I, I personally think that Dana White's doing a good job. And, um, oh, yeah, you know, I, I think he's doing a hell of a job. This is what Joe McCarthy was bringing out, and I've brought this out to several people, and that is they're like, oh, Dana White, this and that. And it's like, well, you know something? If Dana White and, and Nufa wouldn't have come along, there wouldn't be a UFC. There wouldn't be, you know, the whole sport would still be in the dark ages, um, especially here in the United States. I mean, love him or hate him, and, yeah, there's a lot of hate for the guy right now, but let's face it, when you get to the top of the mountain, you know, you're going to have that. Everybody's yeah. going to try to knock you off. <laughs> and, um, you know, during a way, you know, he's uh, looking back 10 years from now, he's 10, 15 years from now, he's going to be looked at, you know, as, as a pioneer, as, as a man that really brought the sport to, you know, to the, to the place where it's going to be and, and where we're definitely heading. Um, you know, I don't think anybody can argue that, um, you know, it's the fastest growing sport in the world right oh, yeah. now. And uh, in this country, in my opinion, within two or three years, it's going to overtake professional wrestling and popularity. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it already has with uh, some of the, well, and like with Vince, he's, he's really running scared because he's made a lot of, uh, Gimmicks just recently that are right. based off, you know, NHB UFC guys. So, yeah, there's no doubt. Vince is uh, is feeling the heat, and um, you know, I have some connections to uh, to some guys that, that cover professional TV wrestling, TV and they're definitely uh, that works because there's yeah, no point by Randy Domain's got that's cost us for you know, it's going to cost us twelve bucks, and to see again, and to to renew it's going to cost. Yeah, I, I think the fans have, uh, you know, are going to be crossing over by the horse, and, and I can understand why. It's a great sport, and, um, you know, there is nothing more exciting and more pure than, uh, than this martial arts. Do you think that uh, Goofy and the UFC should go back to the 
dramatic entrances that they had at one time, or do you think they should just keep it like they've got it where it, where it looks like professional boxing? Um, you know what? I, I, I kind of miss the dramatic entrances a little bit, and it's, it, I think they should take a page from Pride's book when it comes to uh, oh, yes. the ring entrances. <laughs> you know, anybody that's watched the Pride pay-per-view, um, you know, that's half the show is, is the guys making the, the walk to the ring, and you can really feel the energy in the crowd. I do like, you know, the way that the UFC stepped in and, and took care of, uh, you know, a lot of the post-fight speech and hype. Yeah. That was unnecessary, but, you know, the I walk to the ring... Like 30 billion <laughs> uh, you know, the walk to the ring is, is a build-up. I, I really would like to see, you know, a little bit more showmanship. Um, you know, but in the end, it's all about what goes down in the cage, you know, between the ropes, any way you want to look at it. It's about, yeah. you know, the fighters themselves and uh, their ability to bang. And, um... You know, the crop of fighters that are coming up here in the next four to five, even ten years, is it's really going to be scary. Well, you guys cover on Pro Karate Weekly more than just UFC. You cover kickboxing. <laughs> and right. what, what are your thoughts <coughs> Excuse me, on, like, K-1? Well, I'm a huge K-1 guy, um, you know, and I, I love kickboxing. I love K-1, honestly. Um, right now, it's just a bad situation for them, um, you know, yeah. that's coming off the most entertaining tournament that the K-1 has ever done here in the States just a couple weeks ago in Las Vegas, but right now everybody's talking mixed martial arts, and um, you're starting to slowly see K-1, uh, you know, dip their feet into the mixed martial arts pool as well, yeah. they're starting to, you know, slowly promote uh, mixed martial arts events with heroes and, and now strike force on the West Coast, um, you know, but being with PKW, we get a chance to cover a lot of uh, a lot of the smaller, you know, regional events, and, and we really get yeah. a chance to see some of the fighters that are on, you know, the second or third tiers that are close to breaking through, and that's why I can say, talent pool is, is just unbelievable out there, and I think, um, you know, the fighters that we're going to start to see break through in the next few years, it's just, just going to be uh, even that much more exciting for everybody. Well, with the uh, K1 event. Whenever I talk to people about K1 and they and they talk about the K1 USA events and everything, the one name that always gets brought up is Michael McDonald. Why is this guy never able to break through? He's never been able. He, he wins the USA stuff. Hell, well, a couple of years ago, they had a tournament from what, you know, you could, I, I don't know if, if you guys have that opinion of this, but it seemed like they held a tournament just so he could be in it. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, I've heard that before. A lot of people seem to think that, uh, you know, especially over the past few years, that, you know, K-1 was kind of catering towards Michael McDonald and Carter Williams and, and yeah. you know, the two North American stars, uh, you know, potentially that had the hope of bringing the title here. Mm. But, you know, with Michael McDonald, uh, you know, I, I just think it's a case of, you know, on the world stage, he's, he's a little bit overrated. And I love him. Yeah. I think he's a hell of a fighter. You know, but fighting guys here in the States and in Canada, it's a totally different ballgame when you fight guys from Holland and, um, you know, and even Japan, I mean, you know, the talent pool overseas is, is just head and shoulders above what it is here in North America. Um, and I think you see that once he does make it to the Tokyo Dome, regardless of who up with, and I think he's had a little bit of bad luck too along the way, but, um, yeah. you know, the race Steffos, the Rodney Bone Jansky's of this world, I think are just a little bit on a higher level than uh, than a fighter like Michael McDonald. Yeah. But very entertaining, and um, like I said, I love the guy, and uh, you know, the Black Sniper is certainly made for uh, some great K-1 memories. Well, I've always wondered, he goes from, he wins the USA event, 
And then I never see him at the the Tokyo show. Does he lose somewhere along the way? Or? <laughs> yeah, there's another step in between. Drop it out. <laughs> well, he's had again. He's had some bad luck with injuries too that have yeah. actually caused him uh, in the past to withdraw. But you know, once you win a K1 USA tournament, here, you know you're not automatically seated to fight in Tokyo for the finals. There's one okay. more step. Um, you know, and and on occasion he's he's you know, kind of falling off at, at that second step. But, uh, again, it, it should take nothing away from what he's accomplished. I mean, the guy's won, you know, 60-some-odd fights. He has oh, yeah. against the best in the world. I mean, he's beaten Mirko Krokop, which is an accomplishment yes. in itself. So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that, is, that is quite a name when you think about the, the guys that he beat. And that, that one name pops up there. Yeah. Uh, he, go, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, to be honest, to me, a bigger disappointment has, has been Carter Williams. Um, you know, here's a guy that, that came out his first year, broke through, winning the K-1 Vegas tournament, beat Michael McDonald, yeah. beat Rick Rufus, the legendary yeah. Rick Rufus in the finals, and really has never been able to live up to the expectations. Um, you know, there's a fighter with all the talent in the world, but, um, you know, mm -hmm. to really break through, whether it's mixed martial arts or kickboxing, you get to the point where a lot of the fighters are really on the same level as far as talent. It's what separates, you know, the A-level fighters from the B-level fighters. It's what's between yeah. the ears. And I hate to say it, but I think Carter's biggest, uh, you know, fallback was his mental focus. And I, I just don't think he had enough upstairs to, uh, to allow him to really take that next step. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, he's a, he's a great guy, great up-and-comer, and I, I wish he'd get it together. <laughs> He's running out of time. I don't even know if you can call him an up-and-comer anymore. Well, see, that's the thing. Uh, you look at some of the, uh, we mentioned Clyde earlier. What, what do you guys, I, I always ask this to every MMA guy that I ever talk to. What do you guys think of Bob Sack? This <laughs> <laughs> is just the greatest story ever. Oh, my God. <laughs> Man, I, I could probably spend three or four hours talking just about Bob Sapp, but, um, I, you know, Bob Sapp is one of those guys, you got to give him credit, um, you know, he, he took advantage of what was given to him, he was, I guess, at the right place at the wrong, at the right time, yeah. and, um, you know, he's benefited, benefited from it, but, you know, to compare Bob Sapp, you know, to, to, uh, Fedora or, you know, <laughs> well, any of these guys yeah. um, is, is, is really a joke, and especially now, I mean, Bob Sapp, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but he pulled out of, uh, yeah, there's no way he's going to Pride. Well, he's been in Pride. Uh, oh. You know, he's fought in Pride before, yeah. and he actually was supposed to fight last weekend in, uh, in Holland against Ernesto Hoos, and um, was actually in the building and pulled out of the fight. Apparently, he wasn't happy with uh, some of the... Uh, you know, some things that weren't in his locker room or whatever, and he just, you know, up and left uh, left the building about two hours before the fight. So right now he's looking at possibly a, a lifetime ban from K-1, and, um, you know, I don't know if, if uh, Clyde is looking at picking him up. You know, this, this it's just a bad situation that he yeah. put himself in, so, you know, I think we potentially could have heard the end of, uh, of Bob Sapp. Well, there's been a, a rumor floating around for the, the past several months with the fact that Brock Lesnar recently settled his, his lawsuit with Vince, that Japan is trying to put together, as awkward as it seems, a Bob Sapp Brock Lesnar fight. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Why would anyone pay to see this? Well, you know what? In Japan, they will. They 
absolutely would. Um, and I would hesitate to say they would probably pay to see that here in the States. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> as big a name as Brock Lesnar is, let's face it. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm really not a fan of, of, and we call those circus fights on, on PKW and they're brought up. Because um, that's basically all they're oh, yeah. Granted, Lesnar, you know, I'm sure is a great athlete and it was a great professional wrestling. And who knows, he might be a... You know, a good fighter, but, um... Well, see, they've, they've had some things in the past where, uh, I remember back in the day, they showed us, they were doing a highlight clip, and they were promoting this fight between The Rock and Brock Lesnar, and they were showing The Rock, you know, sprinting and training, and they were showing Brock in a heavy bag. And he just wasn't connecting with decent shots, and I thought, oh my God, what is this? And then when, then when there was rumors coming up, oh, Brock wants to do MMA. I'm like, okay, he, he's a great athlete. He's a former NCAA wrestling champion, but he's going to have to know a little bit more than wrestling to get the job done. Yeah, I mean, you would think they learned from the Sean O'Hare experiment. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> that guy. <laughs> Maybe that's not the way to go, but again, I mean, you never know. Daniel Peter, who I'm, I'm sure uh, wrestling fans are familiar yeah. with, and... Um, who happens to be a friend of mine. Yeah, that's a different situation. I really believe that um, Daniel Pewter could be successful in professional wrestling as well as mixed martial arts. Oh, yeah. he's, he's come up with a mixed martial arts background. He knows jiu-jitsu. Um, it's easier for him as opposed to somebody that's coming in with, you know, just wrestling or yeah. even a box. I mean, there's been a lot of boxers that have tried to cross over and do kickboxing oh, or yeah. mixed martial arts. It's just a very difficult transition. But at the same time, for K1, it's a brilliant business move. You know, you're going to be tapping into millions and millions of fans that are going to want to watch this just for the fact that Brock Lesnar is <laughs> participating. So, you know, obviously it's a move that if they can make, they have to make um, business. Yeah. It's, it's just a, a, a really strange move. move. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I've, you, you bring up... Uh, Daniel Pewter, I would, I would have loved to see him do more in professional wrestling. I, there's a lot of people that share the belief that when he had the opportunity, he should have broke Kurt Angle's <laughs> ankle. Uh, yeah, we talked to Daniel about that. Looking back, he, you know, I think he wishes that he would have. Um, and I think the WWE dropped the ball on, on Daniel. Um, obviously, he was a popular figure. I mean, you know, look at all the votes he, he had done just to win the... Uh, tough enough contest, and, you know, he's got the persona, he's got the mixed martial arts, the potential UFC twist that they could have built on, um, you know, so I don't know what happened, you know, there was a lot of stuff behind the scenes, um, you know, that we're not privy to, but, uh, I agree with you, I think Daniel would have been a perfect fit, and timing-wise, you know, the, the WWE just blew it, now, hopefully, yeah. um, looks like Strike Force is going to be capitalizing off of it. I would have liked to see him possibly in the Ultimate Fighter house, but I don't know, that would be really way too much. I, I know a lot of those guys that have been on there have got a little bit of MMA experience, but Peter would have just, I think, blew them all away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they would have been a good fit. Um, I, I think, um, you know, with his ability and, again, his personality makes for great television. I think he would have been uh, a good fit to the Ultimate Fighter household. But, uh, and, and I know for a fact that they were actually talking to him about uh, possibly being on the cast of Season 2 at the time. Wow. But uh, for whatever reason, it didn't work out. And, um, you know, I don't think Daniel's going to complain. I think he's in a good position right now. Strike Force, you know, there's oh, yeah. 18,000 fans for their last show. Um, and I think really, you know, 
going back to Scott Coker, he's smart when it comes to being able to, you know, to, to build a star, and I think he's got one in Daniel Peter, and we'll see what he does with them. That's right. I've enjoyed the conversation. We ran out of time. I will uh, get the email with Jimmy, let you know when it's going to air and everything. And, uh, All right. Good luck with the events. Keep us updated on everything. I uh, certainly appreciate it. And, um, yeah, we, uh, we we appreciate the exposure. And um, any fans that are interested and want to check out the fight card, listen to TKW Live. You can go to ProKarateWeekly.com and uh, get all your information online. Welcome to the Unlock Your Wealth Update. Here's Heather Wagonhall. Movies can be hypnotic messengers. Are these the same messages you received from watching the following movies? Wall Street. Remember when greed was good? Michael Douglas won an Oscar for his portrayal of Gordon Gecko, the corporate raider who takes a shine to Charlie Sheen and teaches him the dark arts of financial manipulation. The entertaining and yet sneaky concepts have inspired some folks two decades later as a training manual on Wall Street. Jerry Maguire, show me the money, shouted Cuba Good Jr. for an Oscar when his sports agent Tom Cruise set out on his own trying to do things right and ultimately making decisions not by money but based on love. And Slumdog Millionaire, the Indian version of who wants to be a millionaire raised suspicions that he might be cheating. Who really has all the answers to make them easy money anyway? For more great resources to help you create unlimited wealth and happiness, visit our website at crackingyourmoneycode.com. I'm Heather Wagonhals. Now go out and unlock your wealth today. We have a tremendous new sponsor with us today, Prevent Missing Kids with Whereabouts and Underwear TM. Uh, that's right. It's a great new Indiegogo campaign. I-N-D-I-E-G-O-G-O dot com. Search Prevent Missing Kids. Let's talk about this. They design and distribute children's GPS apparel to aid in the prevention of missing kids and creating awareness. They built this company from the passion, experience, and education. Each of us provides. With funding, this company will partner with a large GPS manufacturer to create and distribute underwear brands. Also, they're innovative and discreetly tracked children's undergarments into stores across the nation. A portion of all proceeds will be returned to the communities through their regular Amber Alert ads on jumbotrons and billboards, as well as supplying free GPS children's apparel to low-income families across the United States. The apparel is unique because of the innovative qualities of the discretion. They won't give out the design secrets, but the GPS inside the underwear is designed to withstand laundering and drying and is so comfortable it won't even be felt. Check it out today online, Indiegogo.com, I-N-D-I-E-G-O-G-O.com. Prevent missing kids with whereabouts and underwear. Check it out today on Transmedia Worldwide. We've got a brand new marketing partner, Transmedia Worldwide. This is a fantastic Kickstarter campaign. It is amazing. Check out Kickstarter.com. Search the Royal Oil. Charles Henry read this today. He's got an amazing Kickstarter. Just check this out. Charles Henry Skin Care and Tanning Lotion. Indoor, outdoor tanning products. Daily moisturizers. Amazing for super dry, irritated skin. They want to create a second product. Rachel Belmont is the owner of Charles Henry, an entrepreneur. A tanning salon manager, a dancer, a performer, and an artist. On paper, they don't go together. But they found a way to merge all the passions within one brand. Charles Henry was her great-grandfather. When he decided to create the brand, he wanted to make a product that represented who he was as an artist as well as an, a family man. The brand allows him to combine his artistry, his skincare obsession, and his tanning knowledge all together. 
Charles Emily lotions are loaded with natural oils, natural healing agents. They personally use CH1, the royal oil. Every day is a daily moisturizer to keep the skin super hydrated. Some of the main ingredients are aloe, coconut oil, hemp seed oil, and oregon oil. If you use the product under UV light, indoors or outdoors, the tyrosine in the lotion will activate the skin's melatonin product, and it will help you develop the perfect tan. Check it out today, Charles Henry Skin Care and Tanning Lotion on Kickstarter.com. That's K-I-C-K-S-T-A-R-T-E-R.com. Search Royal Oil, Charles Henry. Check out Charles Henry Skin Care and Tanning Lotion by Rachel Belmont on Kickstarter.com. We've got a brand new marketing partner with us today at Transmedia Worldwide on December 26th. Their lives were interrupted by the North Texas tornadoes that devastated the lives of the communities of Garland, Roselet, and other North Texas. That day made them realize how grateful they truly are to have family, friends, and neighbors, and the ability to live this life they were blessed with every day. Cynthia and the Ravens family lost their home, possessions, vehicles. From the tornado on that life-changing day, they was in the process of remodeling their home because they were adding a new addition to their family. They were adopting a 10-year-old girl who recently lost her mother due to losing her cancer. Please help this beautiful, kind, and most amazing family rebuild their life at home as they are so fortunate and blessed to survive each of these tragedies and acts of destruction that they face as human beings every day. Please donate in helping them cover that many out-of-pocket costs for food transportation, clothing, and insurance deductibles they have, rebuilding their lives in the coming months. Thank you for your thoughts, prayers, and generosity. And check out the GoFundMe campaign at GoFundMe.com slash R6X7UD4K. We'll spell it for you. It's G-O-F-U-N-D-M-E dot C-O-M slash the letter R, the number 6, the number X, the number 7. U, the letter D, the number four, and the letter K. And tell them, you heard about it here, Transmedia Worldwide. Great new sponsor with us today at Transmedia Worldwide. Small nonprofit. They're in need to help complete a school building project back home. The mom is a founder and currently on the ground. The building has been demoed and the new construction is underway. Check it out today at GoFundMe.com slash help build a school. That's right. Check out G-O-F-U-N-D-E.C-O-M slash H-E-L-P-B-U-L-D-A-S-C-H-O-O-L. That's right. We want to help P.L. George rebuild a school. Fullerton, California. Check out GoFundMe.com slash help build a school. That's G-O-F-U-N-D-M-E.C-O-M slash H-E-L-P-B-U-I-L-D-A-S-C-O-M. A-O-O-L and tell them you heard about it here Transmedia World This is Jason Roberts with the Wealth Investors Minute If you watch CNBC or Fox you are well aware of the fact the Fed will be raising interest rates sometime this year Technically a rate increase will widen the wealth gap a bit as lower income families see more of their budget dedicated to interest payments for auto loans and credit card debt from a consumer standpoint, even after a potential rate hike, rates will still remain at historically low levels. Borrowers will realize that mortgage rates moving from the threes to the fours is not the end of the world and that the affordability index remains very high. As for savers, it's tempting to think that any Fed action to increase interest rates would mean a better rate of return for your nest egg at your local bank, but that may not actually come to pass in the near term. Interest rates will have to rise quite a ways until we get back to those 3 and 4% CD rates.
You need to continue seeking those higher return alternative investments to bridge the income gap for retirement. This is Jason Roberts with the Wealth Investors Minute. Download all the past bits and best interviews with new things added each week at JiggyJagwa.com. Back here on the Jiggy Jaguar Show, and uh, Jack and Robin Firestone going to be answering our questions this morning. They witnessed the car crash that killed Princess Diana and Dodi Al Payed in 1997. They've now written a book about their experience, which is now titled Chasing Diana. Good morning, Jack and Robin. I like Hi, this. thanks for having us. Good morning. I really do. I like it. Your approach in your book, Chasing Diana. It's kind of like a uh, screenplay, correct? That is correct. Why'd you do that? Why did you do it that way? Well, uh, the last 11 years, we've been uh, feeling like we've been living in a movie. I mean, we really felt like these bizarre characters in a novel that is like a mystery, uh, Clouseau kind of investigative uh, story. And uh, it really just made the most sense for us. And, you know, it, it was really the only way for us to uh, impart to the readers to exactly what the uh, we felt and, and what course. we experienced. Okay. Uh, we were on a family vacation with our son, Brandon, who was 12 at the time, end of summer vacation, and we went to England first and really did every royal uh, event that you, and sightseeing uh, that you could possibly do and decided to take three days in Paris just to have a little closure, a little relaxing a little shopping, and uh, we got there, and uh, boy, the night that we got there, we ended up in the tunnel. And what happened is uh, we arrived in Paris on Saturday, August 30th, about 3 in the afternoon. Uh, This story is so full of ironies, the first one being that's the exact day and time that Diana and Doty arrived in Paris. Um, We left our hotel at about 5.30 in the afternoon. Uh, The second irony is that directly across the street from the front entrance of our hotel, we found out uh, a day later, we didn't realize it, but it was the uh, infamous revolving doors that we've all seen Diana and Dodie walk out of. And that uh, uh, across-the-street scene uh, Saturday late in the afternoon was uh, uh, full of uh, photographers. We didn't even think of them as paparazzi. We had no idea that Diana was in town. And uh, as Robin said, uh, we did our sightseeing, and ultimately we hopped into a cab after midnight, uh, early morning Sunday, August 31st, and... Uh, found ourselves in traffic that took us uh, uh, into the tunnel, and our taxi driver stopped the cab uh, once we reached the uh, reason for all the traffic, and that's when we witnessed the immediate aftermath of the car crash. What did you see that night? Mm-hmm. Well, as soon as we got into the tunnel, I mean, you can see that there were lights uh, flashing off, uh, look like fireworks, uh, just you know, so you're thinking, you know, what's kind of going on up there, and then, of course, you realize there's an accident as we're slowly creeping up. So the first thing I noticed were um, photographers and motorcycles, and it was a little bizarre because, again, I don't want to think of them, or back then, I don't want to think of them as paparazzi, but I couldn't quite make of what I was seeing because it was a, just a lot, like, like a scene out of a movie. And so these dark cars that were parked, and I couldn't see into them because the windows were blackened, they looked like that they had plenty of time to get there and conveniently park as the motorcycles did. And then what became very bizarre as we were just creeping by was this car that you could almost not even imagine as a car. It was like, a, like an accordion, like a bug that goes splat on a wall. And all of a sudden, 
there's this action. I notice a police officer who's having an argument with somebody who was wearing a camera, and while that's pursuing, uh, another photographer ran around and wedged himself right on the wall and literally was laying into the car taking pictures. And again, none of this was making sense. Certainly at that point, I didn't think there was anybody in the car because obviously the police officer wasn't keeping anybody away. You know, uh, what, what really struck me was the uh, dichotomy uh, while these monsters, these, these uh, uh, paparazzi were taking photographs of, uh, every con from every conceivable angle uh, inside the car, while we certainly had no idea uh, why they were doing that, and I thought maybe it was the forensics department chronicling a horrible accident, there were a couple of police uh, standing by their police vehicle with the blue light flashing, and they were just very nonchalant. They were just letting you have a theory about what happened. Photographers have a field day. Do you, uh, you know, you can't help but. I mean, the whole world was was thinking about what could have happened, but only because of the experience, not just what we saw, but the actual experience that we ensued over 11 years. Obviously, when we found out what was going on and who we actually saw, or who I actually saw in the car with Princess Diana. We knew we had to go to the police because there was so much speculation, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of misinformation that we knew we can clarify. So just as Americans wanting to do our civic duty, we knew we had to go to the police. Well, just imagine you witnessing any type of an accident, uh, uh, whether it's a crash or a murder or a kidnapping. Wouldn't you think every detective on the case would want every witness to come forward? I mean, that's just a natural uh, solution to getting to uh, you know, the finish line to how an investigation goes. Well, the first reaction to the first police officer that we went to, we were told that they had enough witnesses. And it wasn't until CNN, I think, basically threatened the French investigators saying, if you don't you know, uh, hear from, from the fire zones that can clarify some information for you, obviously there's something going on with this investigation and we're going to do an expose on the news that night. And that was the night afterward. And it's been that way for 11 years, just attempting to even give a true deposition that, uh, that had our accurate story, and it wasn't until last year in December that we even had the remote possibility to attempt to do it when we were called back to testify. So, I don't know, in my opinion, if it were a complete, clear investigation, wouldn't it went through what we went through the last 11 years? So, for me, I'm positive, uh, at least I'll say in my opinion, to protect myself, that there's something way bigger here than meets the eye. Can I add something to that? Um, in fact, we did give a deposition within 48 hours after witnessing the immediate aftermath of this uh, horrific car crash. Now, um, there was an interpreter present, um, as were the uh, police investigators, and after taking my deposition for about 45 minutes or an hour, uh, knowing full well I didn't speak French, read French, write French, understand French, they presented me with a multi-page document, the, the deposition, written entirely in French. And they said, here, monsieur, if you would, uh, sign here. And I said, well, wait a minute, I can't sign this, I can't even read it. And the interpreter said, well, that is not a problem, monsieur. He says, I will read it to you, and then you will know what it says, and then you can sign it. I said, the only way I can sign it is if I write above my name that I don't read or write or, or speak French. And they said, well, if you sign it that way, then we can't use it. And I said, well, that's the only way I can sign it. I said, however, if you give me a copy of it and I can get it translated, or if you can translate it into English, um, I'm happy to sign it. And they said, no, 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 you have to sign it this way or uh, we can't use it. And I said, well, uh, I, I'm going to sign it with my stipulation. And, uh, you know, this, this is the same deposition Robin referred to that uh, ten and a half years later when we 
uh, were deposed uh, to give testimony in London that was presented to us. It was translated into English, but it was rife with uh, 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 it, it was rife with errors. And it was presented to us through Mohammed Al-Fayed, uh, some of his attorneys who found us 10 years later. So uh, it, w it was pretty remarkable. And the whole thing is uh, really just like a movie. That's why we wrote it that in that version. I think it was just ineptitude on the part of the French investigators and the police? Well, I, you know... Yeah, yeah think, well, Jeff, think, let, think Inspector okay. Clouseau, right? So, so, yeah, so let's, so let's say that as far as the French goes. Sure, that was a poor investigation. But then Scotland Yard went ahead and did an investigation uh, because Mohammed Al-Fayed wasn't satisfied and wanted okay. to know what happened to his son. And you know what? Scotland Yard basically said the same exact thing. We've called back every single witness, and these are the facts, and this is a mere accident. And you know what? We were not called back. And we knew we were not the only ones that weren't called back. So you want to blame France for a little bit of ineptitude? Well, now you have Scotland Yard. It wasn't until the third and final that you would think, since they finally called us back, that we'd have our day in court. You know what? Judge Justice Scott Baker, Lord Justice Scott Baker, when it came time for me to testify and talk about those dark cars and certain information that I gave originally, they basically said, we heard enough from Mr. Firestone. We don't have to call Mrs. Firestone. Some of the lawyers jumped up. There was banter going back and forth. They gave me, finally, he gave in five minutes, never had a chance to really go into detail about what I saw. So you have to leave it, you know, to, to the, you know, to the person who's out in the rest of the world that says, you know, why, why, why aren't they letting this person talk? The book is Chasing Diana. Jack and Robin Firestone, thanks for being on the Jiggy Jig while your radio program today. Thank you, folks. This interview was recorded today, 11-18-2008. We have a tremendous new sponsor with us today, Prevent Missing Kids with Whereabouts an underwear TM. Uh, that's right. It's a great new Indiegogo campaign. I-N-D-I-E-G-O-G-O dot com. Search Prevent Missing Kids. Let's talk about this. They design and distribute children's GPS apparel to aid in the prevention of missing kids and creating awareness. They built this company from the passion, experience, and education each of us provides. With funding, this company will partner with a large GPS manufacturer to create and distribute underwear brands. Also, they're innovative and discreetly track children's undergarments into stores across the nation. A portion of all proceeds will be returned to the communities through their regular Amber Alert ads on jumbotrons and billboards, as well as supplying free cheap children's apparel to low-income families across the United States. The apparel is unique because of the innovative qualities of the discretion. They won't give out the design secrets, but the GPS inside the underwear is designed to withstand laundering and drying and is so comfortable it won't even be felt. Check it out today online, Indiegogo.com, I-N-D-I-E-G-O-G-O.com. Prevent missing kids with whereabouts and underwear. Check it out today on Transmedia Worldwide. We've got a brand new marketing partner, Transmedia Worldwide. This is a fantastic Kickstarter campaign. It is amazing. Check out kickstarter.com. Search the Royal Oil. Charles Henry with us today. He's got an amazing Kickstarter. Just check this out. Charles Henry Skin Care and Tanning Lotion. Indoor, outdoor tanning products. Daily moisturizers. Amazing for super dry, irritated skin. They want to create a second product. Rachel Belmont is the owner of Charles Henry, an entrepreneur. 
a tanning salon manager, a dancer, a performer, and an artist. On paper, they don't go together. But they found a way to merge all the passions within one brand. Charles Henry was her great-grandfather. When he decided to create the brand, he wanted to make a product that represented who he was as an artist as well as an, a family man. The brand allows him to combine his artistry, his skincare obsession, and his tanning knowledge all together. Charles Henry lotions are loaded with natural oils, natural healing agents. They personally use CH1, the royal oil. Every day is a daily moisturizer to keep the skin super hydrated. Some of the main ingredients are aloe, coconut oil, hemp seed oil, and oregon oil. If you use the product under UV light, indoors or outdoors, the tyrosine in the lotion will activate the skin's melatonin product, and it will help you develop the perfect tan. Check it out today. Charles Henry Skin Care and Tanning Lotion on Kickstarter.com. That's K-I-C-K-S-T-A-R-T-E-R.com. Search Royal Oil. Charles Henry. Check out Charles Henry Skin Care and Tanning Lotion by Rachel Belmont on Kickstarter.com. We've got a brand new marketing partner with us today at Transmedia Worldwide on December 26th. Their lives were interrupted by the North Texas tornadoes that devastated the lives of the communities of Garland, Roselet, and other North Texas. That day made them realize how grateful they truly are to have family, friends, and neighbors, and the ability to live this life they were blessed with every day. Cynthia and the Ravens family lost their home, possessions, vehicles. From the tornado on that life-changing day, they was in the process of remodeling their home because they were adding a new addition to their family. They were adopting a 10-year-old girl who recently lost her mother due to losing her cancer. Please help this beautiful, kind, and most amazing family rebuild their life and home as they are so fortunate and blessed to survive each of these tragedies and acts of destruction that they face as human beings every day. Please donate in helping them cover that many out-of-pocket costs for food transportation, clothing, and insurance deductibles they have, rebuilding their lives in the coming months. Thank you for your thoughts, prayers, and generosity. And check out the GoFundMe campaign at GoFundMe.com slash R6X7UD4K. We'll spell it for you. It's G-O-F-U-N-D-M-E dot C-O-M slash the letter R, the number 6, the number X, the number 7. U, the letter D, the number 4, and the letter K. And tell them, you heard about it here, Transmedia Worldwide. Great new sponsor with us today at Transmedia Worldwide. Small nonprofit. They're in need to help complete a school building project back home. The mom is a founder and currently on the ground. The building has been demoed and the new construction is underway. Check it out today at GoFundMe.com slash help build a school. That's right. Check out G-O-F-U-N-D-E dot C-O-M slash H-E-L-P-B-U-L-A-S-C-H-O-O-M. That's right. We want to help P.L. George rebuild a school. Fullerton, California. Check out GoFundMe.com slash help build a school. That's G-O-F-U-N-D-M-E dot C-O-M slash H-E-L-P-B-U-I-L-D-A-S-C. A-O-O-L. Tell them. You heard about it here. Transmedia World. It's a minute report for America. Under the leadership of Vladimir Putin, Russia has not played by Western rules, morals, or concepts. But Washington has been slow to catch on to this reality. That is the reason the Obama-Clinton reset has been a total failure. And why, in the second iteration of the Cold War, Moscow is gaining the upper hand. The Obama administration's confusion and naivete became almost humorously apparent 
following Moscow's invasion of the Ukraine, as the Putin government ginned up national pride by highlighting the success of its armed forces, U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry could only sputter, this is not 21st century behavior. The contrast between the Kremlin's idea of 21st century behavior and that of Western nations is stark. While the U.S. withdrew tanks from Europe, Moscow deployed new medium-range nuclear missiles to its European border. I'm Frank Bernuccio. Read more at usagovpolicy.com. Welcome back to the big show. I'm speaking with Adam Epstein. And if many of you wonder, that name sounds awful familiar to me. He is, and was, and I guess probably still are, the, uh, he ran alternacast.com and fancast.com. Give, give uh, everybody a little bit of history on how you, how you came up with those websites and everything. What was the basis? Uh, you're taking me back a little bit. But, uh, you know, we're going back to, to I guess, 1999, 2000, when I just had the concept that uh, the Internet is a communication tool. And, you know, back then everybody was trying to figure out what it was all about and what it was used for. And I, I thought that, uh, you know, people should be able to connect online and host talk shows and, uh, yeah, it started out with FanCast, which was a way actually for folks to see their own sportscast. Yeah. Actually, the initial idea was, and then it, it turned into this concept where uh, people were just meeting online and, and talking and, and hosting shows, and um, it was pretty cool technology that we had, and we tried to come up with a lot of fun ways to, uh, to get it out there. Well, you guys, uh, you started FanCast, and this is, uh, I, and I should I should know my history more since I was involved with the, with the programming. Um, and having the program on there, um, you guys, like a talk radio came, and then FanCast came, or was FanCast around when Lycos was around? We were actually around at the same time. So, um, we were both using the same technology that was developed out of, uh, out of, uh, Seattle, Washington by some ex-Microsoft guys. And Lycos was the 500-pound gorilla, and I was just a little guy who had this <laughs> idea and went to look the technology. And uh, they were nice enough to, to cut me in on a licensing deal. And, um, we, you know, we, we marketed to the sports verticals. We knew that Lycos was doing it for everything else. Yeah. And uh, we just had a, you know, a concept that people would host their own sports cast. It wasn't competitive. But Lycos uh, changed strategic directions pretty quickly once the bubble burst. And uh, they sent their traffic our way. And we decided to set up alternate cast to take the traffic because Fancast was a sports site. So that, that's sort of how the, the history went back in the early days. Well, with Lycos, uh, did they attempt to save their operation at all with the radio side, or was it just, oh, crap, we don't know what the hell we're doing. This guy's got a website. We'll just send everybody over there. Yeah, I, I don't know too much about what, what Lycos was, you know, what, what they were thinking strategically. I know they had a CEO change, and I think the guy who was in before was a big part uh, of this sort of grassroots uh, radio concept. And then the new regime came in, they changed directions 180 degrees and said, uh, what do we do with this, uh, this traffic? And I said, you know, I'll be happy to take it from you. Now, my only problem is I couldn't figure out how to make money with it either. But, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but that, that was okay. I mean, it was, you know, it was... Oh, yeah, it was, it was a... It was I think a, we were out of our time, if anything. Yes, yes. It was, a, it was a great adventure there for a while. I, oh, just some of the stories with, uh, with, with fan cast. Um, you had all sorts of pro 
programming on there, sports-oriented. You had poker shows. You had, I blame you, sir, for the whole poker garbage. Because it seems like... It's amazing. It's, you know, so many things that, so many trends, and this is what I think is interesting about uh, user-generated content, yeah. is that you pick up on trends before they hit the mainstream. I mean, like you said, I mean, our poker shows oh, yeah. are far are most listened to shows on, on the Alternacast side, we have these Harry Potter shows that were just out of nowhere, <laughs> and this is before anybody is really, you know, we're, we're talking about these things as multi-billion dollar businesses. And, you know, I've always thought, let's get this thing back up and running just to find out where the next big opportunity is. Yeah. Well, I know uh, right there what, what what you just said, you're going to cause a ton of people that are going to hear this interview to go, oh, my God, it's coming back. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, let me ask you. I mean, look, I, I've got the technology. And, you know, we, we, we took it and we, we did some things with it on the... Um, you know, we, we, were, we were trying to support it, and we, we couldn't figure out a way to do it by yeah. it just didn't work out real well. And um, you know, basically, I was getting married, and, and I had to support my family, so yeah. I had to take a real job. And so I, I like to ask folks who are using it for web conferencing and business applications. But you know, I've, I've been away from the game for a while. You know, you tell me, is there are there other technologies that are well, better than what we have? The, the, the situation. What what you had with the being able to take calls on the air and right. not have net meeting and not have a phone line and all that, that was a great idea. I, I've yeah. never been able, with with all the time since Alternacast closed up shop up to now, everybody has been using crappy, basically crappy software. <laughs> I, I wrote a column for the website about a year and a half ago about all the conferencing and caller-type software. It went from what you guys had to, like, with NetMeeting, which if you don't configure your sound cards right, you're, you're screwed. You're right. going to have an echo on your end, you're going to have an echo on their end. Um, sometimes their sound is totally off the wall compared to yours. Then there's... Uh, Skype, which a lot of people have been using, but once again, you've got all these issues with sound. And then there's people that, there's a uh, woman up in Canada named Gothic Gal that has a radio show, and she uses Yahoo audio conferencing, <laughs> which okay. sometimes it's a good idea, sometimes the audio is crap. And it right. just seems to be that that was the one thing Something else is the bandwidth issue. I know that that's the big thing right now with internet radio. I know that when you guys were around, internet radio, you know, people were playing Beatles records in their basements on Live 365, and then you had yep. uh, radio shows on Alternacast and Fancast, and then it started to where people started doing uh, syndication. Like there's a buddy of mine named Frank Atolo who he's, he's on everywhere. He's on ev anything that, it, it's basically like when you look at, um, well, and this is kind of a strange strange way to compare, but martial arts tournaments, they just need people to, to fill their rosters. They just need to fill, fill fight cards. Kind of like right. a Huffman contest. They need people to, they don't care who you are, where you come from, as long as you pay the fee and show up, they just need content. And that's basically what a lot of these internet stations were for a while. They just needed content. They, yeah. they needed shows. So a lot of these guys started doing that. Well, then podcasting 
people were like, well, I don't have the money for the bandwidth. I don't have the money for um, the website. You know, I all I want to do is put a show on the air. But then you get a lot of these jerk-offs that, <laughs> that go out there and, and they have these podcasts that are just absolutely useless. But right. then you have these internet radio guys who are like, you know, I don't have the bandwidth. I don't have the money. I'm going to do a podcast. So then you also have the mainstream guys, just, uh, Al Franken and some of these others who are like, oh, crap, hey, i, I got to give them this podcast thing too. And so, so podcast has basically killed internet radio. Uh, <laughs> right, right. But I'll tell you, there are people out there who still want to do the kind of things you guys were doing. The um, live talk shows. Yeah. Right. It sounds like there's a market out there. And I'll tell you the, the idea that we're kicking around right now. Okay. That what you've left out is the number one feature from Alternacast that everybody was nuts about. Do you remember what it was? Uh, well, um, I know what I was nuts about was the rating system. But exactly, <laughs> exactly. Everybody, I got more emails about the rating system. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk about that here in a few minutes. <laughs> I, I know one thing with. Um, with Alternacast and with some of the things that are going on now is that, well, for instance, uh, Big Bob, who used to have a show on Alternacast, sure. he was using, as soon as you guys went off the air, he started using Pal Talk. Right. And he used that for a while. Well, then they started popping ads up and all sorts yep. of crap, and it got so disruptive that he went and went with this uh, group of people called Wild Bench Radio. And basically, there's his own chat room and everything. But, you know, he was searching for an audio application to be able to, to do the, the live calls. And then, then there's another guy that I'm sure you, and I don't know if you, you remember him at all, but somehow he attached himself to most of the mainstream. We're going to see if that um, produces anything. A guy named Zadez. Okay, good. <laughs> this guy, he's been spending, he has devoted his entire life since you guys went off the air to creating an entire website that is like Alternacast. He loved that place. And he has a, he has actually a, a website called talkjockeys.com which is Basically, he is trying to get a group of people to do internet radio, and then basically they want to do like Alternacast. And he puts the website up, then he takes it down, then he puts it up, then he takes it down. So a lot of the people that were interested aren't anymore. But so, I mean, what we're thinking about doing is, is yeah. getting it back up and running and uh, getting wow. the going. And then uh, letting people host their own talk shows, take all the callers they want, sandwich isn't an issue because, look, I mean, the software has always been phenomenal in the head of its time. We've oh, yeah. Time. Yeah, the software's and, uh, great. And I think the only thing that was really missing back when we first launched, and the second most emails I got was, how can I record this? Well, now we've got the podcast. Well, see, that's, that's another thing. And this is what the Fez guy has been doing over the past couple of years is right. he set up a Windows media encoder to broadcast and then record right. the show. And then right. use net meeting to take calls. Uh, yep. And he has the chat room and he has all the stuff. Right. But well, we want to do the 
Exactly. You want to make it super user friendly. You don't have to have four different applications going. You know, but the one thing about the software is it's so easy to use. You have a headset and everything else takes care of itself. So, um, if I can roll this thing out where it has podcasting integrated in a way that's very easy to use, yeah. that's always been the, the key to the, any kind of uh, of internet software. It's got to be easy to use. And uh, then, you know, we'll get this thing up and running and, you know, hopefully in the next uh, couple of months. That is cool. That, that yeah. is way cool. Uh, getting back to, we were mentioning some of the uh, the different uh, hawk jockeys that were on there. I used to just make fun of that term, and I don't know why. I just, <laughs> but I used to just hammer that term. But you look at a guy like Big Bob, you know, he, right. he was, he has been very angry. I guess he was supposed he was doing some, like, uh, oh. major show, major yeah. anniversary yeah. show. The oh. week you guys disappeared. Oh, you kidding me. And <laughs> he has been angry ever since. And he, uh, wanted, he, he wanted me to relay, um, he, had, he had two questions. One was, why did, what was the real reason that Alternacast closed, which I'm assuming was probably the fun. And then yeah, it absolutely was. And did it happen? Did it happen? Yeah. The answer to both questions is, is it did. And, um, you know, look, nobody was more upset about having to shut down than I was. And it, it really just came down to it was extremely expensive at the time yeah. to run Alternacast. Um, and, it, you know, when the money runs out, the money runs out. And, you know, you, you got you to shut off, you got to shut off. Yeah. So the funny thing, again, about being ahead of your time, you know, we've been costing out what it takes to get this thing back up and running. It costs one-tenth the price uh, for servers and bandwidth and all the back-end hardware that it did uh, when I had it launched three, I guess, three or four years ago. Yeah, so bandwidth for one thing is real cheap right now, bandwidth depending on where you get it from. Servers are, are so much less expensive, and I mean, it was really the hardware that was killing it, because it, it does take a fair amount of, uh, of hardware on the back-end to yeah. run all that stuff. It's, it's, you know, it's a pretty decent amount of software is pretty impressive, uh, and then, you know, at the time, it took some pretty heavy-duty servers to, to run the whole thing, but now those servers, you know, because server technology improves, oh, yeah. it gets, you know, twice as fast and half the price, it is, it is much less expensive to, uh, to run this thing, so it's, it's, it's pretty much compared to uh, bowling balls. Well, another another question that he had was he had heard that Loud Eye had bought the soft had bought Wonder Horse, and did that have to do with another reason why Alternacast shut down? No, that, I, I think, and I don't want to, you know, I, I, yeah. I don't know much about Wonder Horse or Loud Eye at this point, but I, my sense was that that was more of a press release activity. Yeah. You, know, you know what I mean? So uh, okay. Everybody bow out gracefully. I, I don't yeah. think. That anybody ever had any, uh, any, you know, intention of, uh, of of getting that software going again? And yeah. You know, if uh, we don't even know if Loud Eye has it, if they do, um, you know, they, they certainly not say anything with it. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think it's one of those press release acquisitions that you, that you saw happen there. Well, and, um, and then you know, we're the only people who've ever used the software. Yeah. Well, there was a there was a rumor running around there for a while that. Uh, Tommy Dog and a couple people were were trying to buy Alternacast from you. Was that real or was that just a BS that got circulated? I've I've had a couple people email me from time to time. Yeah. Well, what it's going to take to get going, and, and I've emailed. I've been very straight up. I said, look, you know, 
we need to tell you what the hardware costs are. Or let me just tell you what, what you need to do to run the thing. Yeah. And if you can handle that, then we can talk about you know, the software deal. But um, you know, as soon as people heard what the hardware costs were, they never oh, even yeah.
and there's a lot of people that pay for it, and they make upgrades every once in a while for free. Right. But then there's a situation like with Life 365 where they have the software, and you're paying for it, and they don't do many upgrades, and there's no problems on either end. That you still have people that are paying, you know, either side of it. But then there's also the situation with the internet, for some reason, and I've, ever since I've started doing anything with the internet back in 2000, and I've noticed this over and over, and that is that if you ask someone to pay for anything, whether it be even just a penny, boom, they're gone in droves. People, people do not want to pay for nothing. But at the same time, you don't, Pipe's not going to be around too long. Right. Right. Well, and that's why I think you need to have either the advertising model, which is you know the adware stuff, or or the subscription model where folks can uh, can not you know, can get rid of the adware or not have to go through that that route. Um, you just you know, you I know, think if you let people broadcast for free, yeah, you, you'll have tons of people because because you had tons of people before. But at the same time, there are a lot of people that are going to get on there. Uh, there was one guy I remember back in the day. They went back to something. the number one show for like oh, that three bad. in a row because he turned on his, his broadcast and then he left his house and it was the dead silence. And people would tune in because they're like, is he going to say something? Then they tune out. And he was like, what the hell is this? So you've got me, Big Bob, you've got Blackout, you've got, oh, my good buddy from Canton, Ohio on there. You've got all these people that are doing programs, <laughs> and they're not getting anywhere because Silence Mabuza over here is doing a show about nothing. Literally, a show about absolutely nothing. I want Seinfeld, yeah, but yeah, a show about nothing. Seinfeld's not taking the extreme, right? Hey, Seinfeld is popular show. Well, see, there you go. And, you know, y y you have the morons. But then you have the situation there towards the end of Alternacast where you had the, the only people that were tuning into the shows were the other broadcasters. Because they were paying, they were on the site, and it, there was no new audience. Right. But if you have the situation that you had before where you don't make people pay, your bandwidth starts through the roof. You've got no way to, to recoup anything. So, you know... Unless you guys can figure out, and from what I can tell from what you said, you guys are working on it, that there is a way to make everybody happy. Well, yeah, you have to have enough traffic on the site, right? So yeah. You need to have people coming to the site to, to find radio programs. And, uh, you know, I think we have a strategy for the marketing so we can do that. And then you've got to have the quality of broadcasters there when they show up. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that, that might be by charging or the rankings or whatever it is. And, and I know you want to see some questions about me about the rankings. Oh, yeah. I want to get into the, uh, the situation with the uh, the rankings, of course. But uh, what do you think of the future of alternative broadcasting since we brought up podcasting and everything? I know there's a lot of people that are like, well, satellite radio and mainstream radio, internet radio has always been regulated, at least in my opinion. I've looked at it as like the new CB radio. Because mm -hmm. there's a lot of trolls on there that they just get on there and they want to be 
you know, these big radio stars, but they have no plans of ever doing anything to be radio stars, or you have guys who didn't make it on mainstream radio, and I will hold up my hand to say that, that I actually, you know, made more of a, more, I wouldn't say a career, but, uh, you know, actually got some training, and, and I will have to say one thing, now that I've got you on the phone, I want to wholeheartedly thank you for Alternacast, because without Alternacast, I'd still probably be some little twit guy well, doing a radio show, and with being able to do the shows on there, and being able to book guests, and be able to do the different things, I managed right. to be able to have a long, successful radio thing going on the internet, and... I've uh, managed to get listed on bodybuilding.com with some of my interviews, and I've, I'm syndicated, and I've got all the things. So I want to wholeheartedly say thank you for uh, Alternacast. But I, I, I want to thank you, and I, and I think I think your question starts to answer itself because yeah. I think the future is guys like you. I mean, I look, you're going to have oh Jesus, we're all in trouble then. Jesus Christ, not a sick. We're all in trouble. But go ahead. You're going to have a lot of people out there who are going to give it a shot. Yeah. You're going to have a lot of people out there who are going to you know, try different things, successfully or unsuccessfully. And then you have people who are taking it seriously. And yeah. So the beauty of it is that anybody can give it a shot. And that's not the biggest weakness because you get a lot of crap out there. And I think that's why yeah. you know, having the right things is important. <laughs> and showing people who, who, the, who the people, you know, who, who the good, uh, you know, the, 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 yeah. the cream rises to the top. And then those guys can make a career out of them. So, I mean, look, like you said, for... A lot of young guys, a lot of guys who had dreams of being broadcasters showed up uh, on FanCast or AlternaCast and gave it a shot. And you, some of them found out, hey, it's not for me. Some of them found out it is for me, but I don't have the talent. And some of you know, them go in a different direction, maybe get bought, you know. Yeah. Maybe, maybe do something a little different with it. And there's guys like you who have the talent, have the stick to it Well, I don't know what I would say that I would do with talent. Go ahead first. Well, you <laughs>
traditional places where radio are. So well, I think this opens up a huge oh, yeah. listening market for us. And I, I think it's, it's a perfect complement for our technology. And that's, and that's the one thing that I've noticed with uh, several shows. There used to be a, a website I was affiliated with. I noticed that every website I'm affiliated with, they all go out of business. But the thing is, you look at uh, uh, this one, one website called ampcast.com. They had, uh, it was a music site. You know, you could download, you know, you know unsigned band music and listen to music and they had right. radio shows and all that. Well, Patola was on there for the longest time, and he had a show every Thursday night at like 8, and he had a chat room, and he had all the stuff. Well, then he had the replays, and he had he posted the, the shows on his website in MP3. Well, now with the podcasting, every night's Thursday night. You know, (laughs) he's got more people podcasting than he did with his live show. And I just find that that's just just amazing. You know, I don't watch watch clubs or wrestling or whatever TV shows when they're on. I I don't even know when they're on anymore. I I get on my DVR and I I pull them up when I want to pull them up. I go to websites when I want to go to them. I I don't make a lot of appointments. <laughs> Making an appointment to get on the phone with you took a, you know, three or four days, yeah. right? I mean, you, you, you just don't schedule yourself like that anymore, and you don't, you know, the entertainment needs to be available for when you want it to be available. Yeah. And I think the podcast was one of the key missing pieces when we did this last time. And the other thing I want to point out is bloggers. We yeah. had bloggers last time. Yeah. And the bloggers do two things. One, they like new and interesting technology. Some people get a lot of marketing uh and uh, they can spread, help us spread the word. And those are folks who have communities, you know, of, of readers, uh, or, you know, or who have their own websites or whatever it is, and they may want to connect with those guys on a, on a well, talk basis. That brings, up, like a great couple weeks. that brings up an interesting uh, point. There's, a, there's another broadcaster that was on, Alternacast and Fancast and Lycos Blackout. This guy, has, and, and I was just simply amazed when I discovered this guy. He had his radio show. He had his website. He had a whole little community that was just obsessed with this guy. I remember him. It, I was, remember like him. A, it was like a low-level Jim Rome. This guy. Yeah. <laughs> and he, and he, was, he was a blogger before there were bloggers. Yeah. You know? And that's another thing about Alter Heads. You really find these guys who are on the leading edge. And, and you, know, you get guys from, or people from all walks of life and all uh, you know, different points of view. But these are folks who are not willing to put up. Not concerned about taking a risk and trying something oh, yeah. a little bit different. And you know what? For every hundred of them, 10, 15 of them are, are on to something. Yeah. Well, and that, that brings up another another broadcaster. Uh, there was a guy that went from being on Alternacast to actually becoming some, somewhat mainstream, and that was that uh, JR from Talk Show America. The guy yep. ended up getting a radio job out of it. And I've gotten a few emails like that of, hey, Adam, I just want to let you know I, I ended up here and thanks. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an amazing thing. You, you look at these guys where, you know, they showed up at Alternacast, they're like, oh, well, you know, this is kind of cool. I'm going to see what I can do. They start doing a show. They start liking it. Then people start hearing them. I know but one thing that, and still to this day, I wish I had the, I wish I would have captured the damn audio. And this is, and this brings up the point that we were talking about earlier. I was doing my show one night. I don't know what the hell I was doing. Who knows what the hell we were talking about? I'm sure what we were talking about was my buddy, but the um, we, were, we were doing all sorts of things. I get an email a couple of days later from Alan Combs of Fox News, 
It was like, hey, I went to this website called Repernicast, heard your show, blah, blah, blah. We started corresponding back and forth. And I'm like thinking, what the hell, Bobby? I've <laughs> got all these, you know, you just never know. And this is what I always tell these unsigned bands that put stuff on the internet. They're like, well, you know, I didn't get signed, or I've had my music up on, you know, my face, or whatever. That's another thing I want to get into with you. And uh, you look at some of these things, and I'm like, you never know who's listening. You just never know. Right. I, I, you know, I, I, I go to parties or, or meet people out or whatever, and I see I'm, I'm running this little website called Alternicast, and people say, oh, yeah, I've heard of that. Well, you know, I've listened to it. Yeah. I'm like, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, a, it's an amazing, amazing little thing. Um, yeah. To bring up MySpace, what do you think of that? You know, I, I was just cruising it this morning. Uh, <laughs> I have not had a lot of, uh, of, of, of experience with it, but... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of an older guy. I mean, I'm, I'm in my 30s now. So, it's interesting. I was in my, I was in my late 20s, and, and it, yeah, I was talking yeah. to my cousin about it, and he's, he's 25, and he's like, you know what? I think I'm getting a little old for, for, for my. Yeah. Well, my space <laughs> seems to be a place where if it's bad and it's negative, it's on the internet, it's there. Okay. <laughs> right. It's right. like right. it's kind of like with the WWE thing. Oh, we're fighting them in Iraq. We're fighting them over there. We're keeping them contained over there. I look at my space as like the Iraq of the Internet. Every <laughs> nasty, horrible thing you could do there. The, the child molesters are on there. These little teeny bopper chicks that, you know, just want attention out of their parents or whatever, right. flashing their boobs on there. I'm like, what the hell are we doing with this thing? And everybody's got a MySpace page. I was looking on there, uh, Jesus has like about 33 different MySpace pages. <laughs> I just don't understand <laughs> why Jesus is on it. I'm, I, of course, I'm on there. I know that, uh, you know, and, and these in these friends list, you know, you get like a, for instance, and this, and I kind of equated MySpace a couple weeks ago when I was talking to somebody, two alternatives. You look at um, this Tilla Tequila chick. She was oh. on MySpace. She's got like about a billion friends, and then all of a sudden, she's on the cover of Maxim magazine. Right. And right. I'm like, what? And then you look at like Alternicast, and like we were talking earlier with Jr. Okay, he's on there, and then all of a sudden, he's mainstream. And I'm like, what? What the hell is going on here? Yeah, that's, that's the craziest stuff the internet is. You get a following, and you know, you build up an audience. It, you know, and going back to your original point, it, it also gives, you know, whether it's MySpace, Alternative Gas, whatever it was, yeah. it gives people a chance to fail. Oh, yeah. You need to have that, because especially yeah. in the radio game, I mean, who's going to give you a chance to get up there and screw it all up? Right? And no, then it's nobody. And fix it. I mean, you're lucky if you get a chance to begin with, you got to be somebody's cousin or, cousin or brother. Exactly. That would be overnight. Exactly. <laughs> And so what you need in any kind of business or any kind of trade, you need a chance to screw it up a couple times. Yeah. You need a chance to go on and, and fall flat on your face and, and, and fail. And, and once you have a chance to do that, you learn and you, you fix it and you make it better the next time. Well, I'll tell you, there's uh, another thing that came out of Alternicast, which I just find so damn strange it, every time I, I bring it up to people, and that is you guys had an online magazine. What the hell was going on with that? The mic. Joyful yeah, thing that, 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 that you had it, and then it was gone, and 
Yeah, that, that was now not I affiliated. Own it, that, that works, so go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 didn't, I didn't run the mic. Um, that was somebody who was a fan of, uh, of the service who wanted to put that up. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm always happy to talk to anybody who wants to promote what we're doing. But, there you go. Um, yeah, that, 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 was not a, that was not an Alternacast owned or operated uh, yeah. website. Well, it it was it was cool there for a while, and then it just I don't know what the hell happened with it. And like I said, now I run it as a like a a blog with the screen itself. Was on our but, uh, list. <laughs> there's a lot of people that are like, "Yeah, Mike." I'm like, "Yeah." Unfortunately, I awesome. I got I got I got clipped with that thing. Um, something else, and we'll we'll get into the uh, the the charge. For one thing, with like charging the broadcaster, why? What was the whole plan behind that? What What was the like? What the the price situation? What What made you guys say, okay, this is what we're charging? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, that takes it back. And, you know, this is a lot of years ago. Oh yes, <laughs> yes. Remember all this stuff? Um, you know, I, uh, boy, how did we decide what to charge? Um, I think I would have to take a pass to say I, I don't remember. I, I know yeah. we did some sort of analysis. I think we tried to talk to a couple of folks to see what we thought a fair price was. You know, we were yeah. obviously trying to do some math to figure out how we could cover our own costs. Um, but, you know, I, a lot of it, just like, you know, you guys had a chance to fail, we had a chance to fail, too. Yeah. We, we, were, we had to take some wild-ass guesses from time to time. And, uh, look, you know, I've, I've learned a lot more about how to run a business since then. I mean, I, I was the guy who was kind of, Gotten to law school and, and, and worked as a lawyer and hated it and wanted to try something different. So I, uh, I, I, I did the best I could to, to start it, you know, something I thought was a good idea. And a oh, good idea cool. is only um, maybe 1% of what you need. Yeah. The other 99% is a little <laughs> bit of experience and guidance and knowledge and, and hard work. And, you know, I put in a lot of hard work on it, but I didn't always know quite what I was doing. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I stayed in the Internet space. Since that uh, experience, in order, to, you know, how to be a part of the successful internet business, and um, you know, I, I, I think that if, if I'd known now, you know, what I know now, I think we would have done a lot better job in keeping it alive. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, uh, that brings me to my to my next big question, and that is the rating situation. There's a lot of people that believe, and including people in my camp believe that you could rig the rating somehow. <laughs> was uh, that ever uh, possible? Uh, 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 I'm going to give you the, the unvarnished truth about the rating. <laughs> okay. Ready? It's, it's, it's something I have no idea how it works. Okay. <laughs> and I, I, I have no idea. There's something that was built by, uh, by the guys in Seattle, and it was an yeah. algorithm, and they, they once tried to explain it to me, but they were even a little hushed up about it. It had something to do with, obviously, how long you were online. Okay. Oh, yeah. 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 followers they had how yeah. they were on for. 
and the people who thought they were being wrong usually were not being wrong. Yeah. Like, I, I could go back in and see what they were doing, and, you know, I always felt comfortable that the ratings were pretty accurate yeah. based on, on, on what the logs do. Now, maybe they weren't getting logs for some reason. That's a different story. But um, the best I could tell is the ratings were pretty good. And if we get the thing up and running again, we have problems with it. I'll, I'll be sure to take a look at it. Well, I'll tell you that the rating system you guys had on FanCast on Thundercast held a lot better than the one that Lycos had. I don't okay. think those people understood what the hell was going on because there were shows that would be number one that they do one show and you'd never hear from them ever again and they're number right. one. And there were shows, I'm on there, Blackout was on there, my buddy from Canton, Ohio, there were other people that were on there over and over and over and they couldn't crack the top ten. And I'm like thinking, okay, there are some serious issues here. Well then when we went over to FanCast, it balanced itself out. Okay. And then when, it, and then when we got to the uh, there were different people that, and I'll just, you know, I just find it so strange. They they were obsessed with the number one rating, and they would really think. And I, I was talking to different people that were involved with these lovely fallout shelter, and they would, years later, and they were telling me, you know how we did that? And I said, no, how the hell did you do that? And they said, well, it's dependent on, like you were saying earlier, how many calls you take, how many listeners you've got. And he said what they would do is he'd have, there was, I guess, three lines or whatever, and he'd, right. have, two, he'd have one guy call in and he'd talk to him, but he didn't have two other people call in and they just sat on hold. Right. And they'd right. go to bed. Right. And then he'd be done with his show and it would just automatically click it off. There was a lot of times where they, they said, you know what, what really screwed both you and him over a lot of times was the fact that he talked smack on you, you talked smack on him. People would go back and forth and doing the show. Well, every single time they do that, it would register another listener. Well, they said the, the first time that I managed to beat him in the ratings, it was because he had a whole bunch of listeners and some, he made some nasty comment about me. So they all went in droves at once. <laughs> and came over to my show. Well, then, because of that, it registered that I took all his audience. And then right, we stayed for like right, five right. seconds, and they went back. But it right. still registered I had all those listeners. And it was just it's funny. It, 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 it's like, we even found, <laughs> you guys discovered the best way to increase your ratings is to have a fight. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 wrote, I, wrote a, uh, I wrote a series of columns later on. Uh, years after Alternacast that said that the DJ battle is the ultimate game in radio.
We'll definitely take all that feedback into account. Oh, yeah? Well, keep me up there. I'm real interested on this. This is uh, we'll get a good talk. But, uh, yeah, I'll get you an email this evening, and uh, we'll have to have you back on again sometime this spring, or not spring, summer, and maybe the fall. Great. Okay, Appreciate thanks a lot. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye. Brand new marketing partner here at Transmedia Worldwide. Brand new fundraising event. It's on GoFundMe.com. We want to inform folks on how to donate. We also want you to check out GOFUND.ME slash I77E74. This is a tremendous new GoFundMe campaign. We want you to check it out today. This woman has breast cancer. She's only 22. She's actually had it when she was two years old. And now she's having a relapse of her condition. Her link online is GoFundMe.com slash I77E74. It's an amazing new GoFundMe campaign. Check out Cancer Patient Fund from Warner Robins, Georgia. GoFundMe.com I77E74. Check it out today. Search Cancer Patient Fund on GoFundMe.com. Please donate and help them today. And tell them you heard about it here, Transmedia Worldwide. Incredible new marketing partner on Transmedia Worldwide. This is a brand new health and wellness company. It focuses on fitness and nutrition. The website is www.conditionyourlifefitness.com. The site is up. It's an amazing site. If you're looking to make some changes to improve the site or your lives, check it out today. This business is going to be growing across the nation. And we want you to go to ConditionYourLifeFitness.com. ConditionYourLifeFitness.com. And for the people in the cheap seats in the back, i for you. C-O-N-D-I-T-I-O-N-Y-O-U-R-L-I-F-E-F-I-T-N-E-S-S. That's ConditionYourLifeFitness.com. And tell them you heard about it here, Transmedia Worldwide. Brand new marketing partner with us today at Transmedia Worldwide. And if you're not going to tell them, and I'm not going to tell them, they're not going to get told. But we're going to tell you right now, www.hoppedisconcentrics.com. That's right. Save 15 to 85% on your prescriptions with the Hope Discount RX card. Print your prescription discount card from the website for every family member. That's H-O-P-E-D-I-S-C-O-U-N-T-R-X.com. Hope Discount The Hope Discount RX card also offers discounts on pet meds. Check it out today at H-O-P-E-D-I-S-C-O-U-N-T-R-X.com. That's HopeDiscountRx.com. And tell them you heard about it here, Transmedia Worldwide. We want to tell you one more time. Check out HopeDiscountRx.com. HopeDiscountRx.com. A returning marketing partner with us today at Transmedia Worldwide. The campaign on Indiegogo just went live. An amazing job. We want to congratulate everybody for going out and hitting the pre-launch. We want to check it out today. We want you to check it out today. Check out igg.me slash at slash i, the number five, dash nightclub slash x, 
slash one two two three seven five six two. This is an amazing, amazing place. And we were telling you about this during the pre-launch. We want you to go check it out today. We're going to help bring the nightlife to Santa Clarita. This comes from Valencia, California, looking to bring a fun, safe, high-tech nightclub to Santa Clarita, California. And we want to keep our friends here as well. An amazing, amazing Indiegogo campaign. Check it out today. Hello, and thanks for taking the time to read the crowdfunding campaign. We want to open up a nightclub slash restaurant in Santa Clarita, California. Los Angeles has established an exciting and vibrant nightlife scene that fully embraced and captured entertainment that young people can go to enjoy themselves and have a good time. Maria doesn't have any good nightlife. We're here to change that. Check it out today at Indiegogo.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-G-O-G-O.com. Search Help Bring the Nightlife to Santa Clarita. And tell them you heard about it here. Transmedia. Woo-hoo. Worldwide. Back to the Cheeky Jaguar Show on the network. Back here on the big broadcast, Jack Duffy joins us. JFK, assassination expert, author, and attorney. He's the author of The Man from 2063. He's also an expert on the assassination of President Kennedy. And I welcome Jack into the broadcast. Jack, how are you doing on this fine, fine afternoon? Doing great. How are you? Pretty good, actually. We've got Jack Duffy with us today. He became interested in the JFK assassination after seeing a bootleg copy of the famous Zapruder film of President Kennedy's fatal motorcade in 1972. He's been researching the assassination ever since, and he's got the great, great book, The Man from 2063. Uh, Jack, talk to me about The Man from 2063. It's an incredible read, my friend. Thank you. Uh, It's a uh, time travel book combined with uh, fact and fiction based on a lot of research over the last four decades. So I combined uh, what I've learned about the case and my own personal opinions about what I think happened to President Kennedy with a fictional story about a lawyer who goes back in time and saves the president from being killed and exposes the conspiracy and changes history. We've got a tremendous guest with us today. Jack Duffy joins us. He's a JFK assassination expert. He's also an author and attorney. And um, Jack's entertaining book draws on his deep knowledge and personal research into the president's murder and is therefore based on actual events and people surrounding the assassination. Now, this book is is pretty much, as you mentioned earlier, it's like like a time travel book. Um, Why did you decide to write this book from that perspective, my friend? Well, uh, almost everything on the nonfiction side of this case has already been written about by you know, dozens of other people. There's nothing really new uh, that's come out recently that I could write a nonfiction book about. I'd just be repeating the same stuff again. So rather than that, do that, I thought, why not combine uh, nonfiction information uh, that I also accumulated along with other researchers and, and, and put it in an entertaining story where if some guy could go back and change history through a time warp, you know, would you do it? And I think the idea was uh, I always would like to go back and see what really happened to President Kennedy. I think most people would like to know what, what the truth is on this thing. And, uh, of course, all we'll ever know for sure is if we can go back and, and see what happened for sure and, you know, through, through time travel. So that's why I decided to come up with that kind of a scenario. A tremendous, tremendous book today uh, talking about the great, great Jack Duffy. And uh, he has a tremendous book. It's called The Man from 2063. Jack has interviewed many key eyewitnesses to the assassination of President John Kennedy, including 
uh, Gene Hill, Mary Mormon, Beverly Oliver, Bill Newman, among others. He's also interviewed two surgeons who treated JFK at the Parkland Hospital, Dr. Robert McClellan and Dr. Charles Crenshaw. He has interviewed a ton, a ton of people. Talk to me about some of these interviews and how did you get some of these people? Well, uh, I met Dr. McClellan through a mutual friend of mine, another doctor who knew him. Dr. McClellan is one of the few doctors who's still alive today to treat President Kennedy, so he's in a unique position where you know, he can still talk about it. Uh, he is the best eyewitness, in my opinion, from all the doctors who treated the president because he was standing right over President Kennedy's head for 30 minutes while they tried to save his life. And he told me, just like everybody else uh, who I interviewed, uh, at least the doctors that I interviewed, that the, the president was killed by a shot that came from the right front and exited the rear of his head, uh, which means the shooter was on the grass, you know, not from the book depository. Uh, the reason why they believe that is because they said that the president had suffered a massive exit wound that was about the size of a softball or a grapefruit uh, coming out the rear of the head. Uh, there's no way that that would be an entry wound from Oswald. That, that wound could only be caused by a funnel shot. Charles Crenshaw also told me the same thing. He was another surgeon who witnessed the same uh, information. And uh, 20 other doctors backed them all up in interviews over the years. Uh, both of them passed away, unfortunately. Before they all died, they all agreed that that's what happened to the president. We've got a tremendous guest with us today here on the line. Jack Duffy joins us. He is a uh, JFK assassination expert, author, and attorney. And uh, Jack has also met many researchers who have written books on the assassination, including uh, Mark Lane, Robert Gooden, and uh, Jim Mars, among others. And uh, talk to me about some of the people that you've that you've met, uh, the different researchers, because uh, it, it's great to collaborate with these people on your own work. Talk to me about that. Uh, I've met some of the real legends, and I call them legends, the guys that started the whole thing in the early 60s, people like Mark Lane and Josiah Thompson, who wrote best-selling books in the early 60s about their research. Uh, they they got into this right after it happened. Uh, of course, I was much too young to really be interested at that time. Uh, but they, they were the pioneers that uh, started the conspiracy movement that has uh, exploded over the years. Uh, I've talked to both of those guys in depth about their research. They were very kind to share their information with me. Uh, Jim Morris is another researcher that I've talked with. Uh, Robert Grove, of course, is a very good friend of mine. He's written eight or nine books on the assassination. He's a leading photographic expert in case. He has the uh, of whenever it's supposed to be for the public to prove a conspiracy out. All the doctors, the mayor, even the ones looking for pictures, are they what they on the operating back of the present blown out by Scott. This, you can get around that. Don't believe in it. We've got a tremendous guest today. Jack Duffy joins us. He's got the great, great brand new book, The Man from 2063. He's an expert on the assassination of President Kennedy. He's also uh, an, an amazing, amazing author and attorney. Jack Duffy is a trial attorney from Fort Worth, Texas. He specializes in personal injury and criminal defense law. He was born in Texas and grew up in Fort Worth. He graduated from uh, Paschal uh, High School in Fort Worth, Texas, and Texas Tech University with a B.A. in political science. Talk to me about that and what you, uh, your background there and your education and putting that into this book. How did that work for you? Well, of course, I majored in political science as an undergraduate, and I went to law school uh, what got me interested, of course, in the Kennedy case... What are we doing here, boys? I saw at a friend's house in the early 70s. That, uh, this was before the film was ever put on national television. And I saw the film and was completely shocked by it because I still believe to this day that the film is the best evidence besides the doctors of a frontal shot uh, that killed the president. Uh, 
everybody who's seen the film, and most people have seen it, uh, know the, the president reacts to the headshot by going violently back to the left, not, not front like you from a, a rear shot from uh, Most of the brain matter and, and a large portion of the president's skull went on the trunk of the car, which would not have happened if the bullet had come from the rear from Oswald. Uh, the laws of physics, you know, prove, you know, that the bullet had to come from the right front. Uh, I know there's other people out there that disagree and say, oh, it was a rear shot, it was a, it was a jet effect, and that kind of baloney, but I've talked to physicists and I've read books written by physicists and they all agree that laws of physics uh, prove that that had to come from the front. We've got a tremendous guest with us today. Jack Duffy joins us. He's a JFK assassination expert. He's an author and attorney. And uh, he's here today to talk about the man from 2063. And it was at Texas Tech that Jack met uh, a tremendous, tremendous individual, Mr. Villa Lugosi, who was uh, giving a speech on the uh, Charles Manson trial and uh, influenced Mr. Duffy to become a lawyer. Talk to me about that Charles Manson uh, speech that you heard and uh, talking to Vincent here. Yeah, it's Vince Bugliosi, how it's pronounced. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he, uh, he's a prosecutor that prosecuted Charles Manson and wrote the best-selling book, Health and Shelter. And uh, I met Vince when I was a student at Tech, and uh, we talked about the Manson case, and then I started talking to him about fascination. And at the time, he wasn't as into it like he is now, uh, like I was. Uh, he eventually wrote a book that I helped him with. He wrote it, but I, I put on a little bit, and he gave me credit for that. Uh, he's a great lawyer. He's a well-known, uh, tremendous prosecutor. Uh, we just have a disagreement on the city. Harvey Oswald was the only uh, shooter, whereas I believe there was a conspiracy. But I, I highly, highly respect Vance, and uh, he's a tremendous person and a tremendous lawyer. We've got a tremendous guest with us today here on the line, Jack Duffy, JFK assassination expert, author, and attorney. And uh, Mr. Duffy went on to graduate from Baylor University with a and then graduated from South Texas College with a G. And Man from 2063 is his first book. Talk to me about uh, being a first-time author and uh, some of the trials and tribulations you went through on this. Well, uh, the book took me about 10 years to write. I didn't work on it consistently because when you're practicing more full-time, it's hard to find time to write. Uh, but I did eventually get it done. Uh, I wrote about 80% of the book in the last two years before it was published, so I really buckled down and finished it. Uh, but it did take a while to write it. Uh, I'm very proud of the book. Uh, I believe that if it gets enough uh, exposure that it could become a really best-selling book. I, I believe you said you read it already, is that correct? Yes, yes. It's, a, it's okay. a tremendous book, my friend. Well, thank you. Uh, everybody who has read it so far that, I, that, that knows me uh, has always has given me positive feedback on the book, so that makes me feel that it's uh, We've got a tremendous guest this day. Jack Duffy joins us. He's a JFK assassination expert. He's here to discuss the man from 2063. Now, um, talk to me a little bit about some of the conspiracy theories behind the murder of President John F. Kennedy, my friend. Sure. Uh, my book uh, centers around what I believe happened. Uh, there are other people who have different opinions, but my research, uh, I believe, as a lawyer, that the evidence strongly support uh, people who were connected with the CIA in some way had to have been involved in the murder of the president for a lot of reasons, uh, along with uh, organized crime figures. Uh, one of the main reasons why I believe that is because uh, the CIA had a motive to kill uh, President Kennedy, or people connected with I should say. I'm not saying the CIA got together and did it, but it, I think it was carried out by people who worked for the CIA or were rogue agents for the CIA, put it that way. They had a lot of reasons why they might have wanted to eliminate Kennedy. Uh, number one, they were upset about his foreign policy uh, with regard to the Vietnam War. Uh, Kennedy had already announced publicly that he was going to start a gradual pullout of all forces out of South Vietnam right before he was killed. Uh, and then, of course, after he was killed, LBJ did the exact opposite and escalated the war in Vietnam. Uh, 
pretending he was going to pull us out of Vietnam from all indications. That did not sit well with the CIA or the military. Uh, also, Kennedy had they blamed him for the Bay of Pigs failure when they invaded Cuba in April '61. The, the invasion failed, and the CIA blamed uh, Kennedy for that failure, and they never forgave him for that. The anti-Castro Cubans who were uh, captured in the invasion also blamed Kennedy for the failure of the, of the invasion. They were very upset with him and hated him very much, and they also wanted him removed from power. Uh, Oswald was seen with a man who was the head of the CIA's assassination program in the weeks before Kennedy was killed in Dallas. Uh, Oswald was seen at a hotel uh, lobby by an anti-Castro Cuban who was there to meet the CIA contact, and that's how we know what happened. Uh, he later testified that the man was Oswald that this fellow was talking with in the hotel lobby there in Dallas. So you have to ask yourself, if there's no conspiracy, why is a guy who's connected with assassinations from the CIA meeting with Lee Harvey Oswald of all people on the planet weeks before it happened in Dallas? Uh, also, uh, there was an incident where the CIA uh, approached a Green Beret in the mid-60s to kill uh, the photographer who took the autopsy photos of Kennedy's autopsy at Bethesda. Uh, we know this because it came out recently in a, a new book written by a man named James Douglas. The Green Beret had killed other people for the CIA in Vietnam. He was approached to kill uh, a fellow named Pitzer, who was the photographer. He did not kill Pitzer because he would refuse to do it. Well, Pitzer died suspiciously shortly thereafter uh, from a supposedly self-inflicted gunshot wound. And all his photographs and films of the autopsy uh, disappeared from his lab. So, you know, if that story is true, then the CIA definitely had a reason, and they wanted to get rid of that photographer. We've got other people. No, I, I, I was just I was just wanting to uh, to get a couple quick plugs in here. We've uh, we've got Jack Duffy with us today. He's a JFK assassination expert. He's also got the book The Man from 2063, and you can get more information on his incredible website, Jack Duffy Law. Dot com. That's JackGDuffyLaw.com. Now, um, as we wrap up here, my friend, um, kind of give me some, some thoughts and feelings on, on where you see this book heading. Uh, do you think that there's a book or a TV movie or, or a follow-up or, or anything that's going to come from this book? Well, I hope so. Uh, I haven't, of course, had any contact with anybody in Hollywood about this yet. I've just looked certain channels in order to get a book, maybe to a movie, and I'm going to probably have to go through an agent or somebody who has connections in Hollywood to look and look at the book and do a treatment. I think they require you to do an eight or nine page treatment, is what it's called, and you send it into a producer and then they look at it. So there's several things you have to do to get it to that point. So um, I hope someday in the future that somebody will be interested in making it into a TV or a national motion picture. I think it would make a great film. Jack Duppy joins us today. He's a JFK assassination expert, author, and attorney. And uh, he's here today to talk about the man from 2063. And you can get more information on his website, jackgduffylaw.com. Jack, I appreciate you making time for us today. Tremendous, tremendous book, tremendous interview. And uh, would love to have you back any, any chance we can get you, my friend. Uh, could, I, could I just tell the audience about the website for the book real quickly? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, if you're interested in getting the book, it's uh, available through the website, which is demandfrom2063.com, and it's also available on Amazon and from Barnes & Noble and from my publisher, Kate Publishing. Amazing stuff, my friend. Well, thanks for doing this, and we will definitely talk to you soon, Jack. Thanks for being on. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, Jack. Jack Duffy here on the big broadcast. Check out more on this podcast and the rest of the circus. Ross's favorite sayings. And we'll go through them right now. JiggyJaguar.com. I do not entertain. JiggyJaguar. I do not recognize annual events on the calendar. JiggyJaguar. I do not indulge in entertainment activities of any kind. JiggyJaguar. Unless it involves female roller derby or domino toppling. JiggyJaguar. I do not allow my visits to be publicly presented. That's a general statement, and it's a lie. <laughs> JiggyJaguar.com. <laughs>
DJ Stax from Stax Me Productions on the ones and twos. I got money in my pocket, ain't nobody gon' take a middle finger to the people who told me that I would make it when you give a little pop. Everybody gon' hate it, I'm on my for me, all the bad girls make it. I got money in my pocket, ain't nobody gon' take a middle finger to the people who told me that I would make it when you give a little pop. Everybody gon' hate it, I'm on my for me, all the bad girls. That's how we do it, how we do it. That's how we do it, how we do it. That's how we do it, how we do it. I'ma go in. That's how we do it, how we do it. Vigilante ladies, I know you asking about me. A lot of cams in the spot, but they don't flash without me. Five eleven skinnies, and I sag them proudly. You gon' have to dance to get this cash about me. Pockets full, money greener than the gold light. Couple chains turn me to a walking strobe light. Keep on wishing, I see you in the distance. All these haters put my finger in a vertical position. Stick to the budget that you can't afford. 100k on some threads, that's when I'm bored. Throw some money up and make it pour on the poor. The type of swagger that you can't ignore. But then the ride with that dude's deuce, this ain't what they used to. Don't compare me to artists that can't produce too. Ha. Never going back to the old me This is when you mix bars with a dope I got money in my pocket Ain't nobody gon' take a middle finger To the people who told me that I won't make it When you're chillin' at the top Everybody gon' hate it I'm on my fly for me All the bad girls make it That's how we do 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 it I got women and they nudity Swimming in the pool with me Toting heavy toolery I'm not with that foolery Trying to be humble but the best is who I prove to be I'm just writing raps and writing other rappers eulogies I told her make it So she made it I'll never be tried Mess with me, I'ma make it <laughs> Yeah, I'm about mine See, I'm about mine Play with mines, I guarantee you get an outline You ready to stand still See me, I grand heel I can add up all your work and make a landfill. I'm immaculate, you're less than adequate. I'm trying to turn a K into an M just like a magic trick. Mind of a genius, I feel so alone. Whipping in the form with the top blown. My pockets look like I just got a loan. Now the girlies won't leave me alone. Cause I, I got, got money in my pocket, ain't nobody gon' take a middle finger to the people who told me that I won't make it when you're chillin' at the top. Everybody gon' hate it, I'm on my fly for me, all the bad girls make it. That's how we do it, how we do it. That's how we do it, how we do it. That's how we do it, how we do it. I got money in my pocket, ain't nobody gon' take a middle finger to the people who told me that I won't make it when you're chillin' at the top. Everybody gon' hate it, I'm on my fly for me, all the bad girls make it That's how we do it, that's how we do it, that's how we do it, that's how we do it. 
That's how we do it. That's how we do it. That's how we do it. That's how we do it. Welcome to an action-packed edition of the world-famous Jiggy Jaguar radio program. Coast to coast and border to border on TuneIn, iTunes, Radio Loyalty, AMFM247.com. And of course today on iHeartRadio, thanks for tuning in to the Jiggy Jaguar radio program. From the KJAG Radio Studios in downtown Hutchinson, Kansas, where live as live can get Monday through Friday. 2 Central, 3 Eastern, 12 Pacific, 1 PM Mountain Standard, and of course... 24-7 at JiggyJaguar.com on the TuneIn apps and Radio Loyalty. Our premium podcast is available for $5 a month. It's red-linked on the homepage at JiggyJaguar.com. Get our brand-new Android app. It's available at JiggyJaguar.us or go to the uh, the App Store and find that today. 50-plus AM FM stations in the big network. Our telephone number, 267-22-JIGGY. And, of course... The Jiggy Jaguar Radio Broadcast is live and on the air. And today we have a very, very interesting broadcast. We're going to be chatting today with the Patriot, Del Welks. Now, of course, for a lot of people who don't know who the Patriot is, professional wrestling superstar back in the day, he was in the AWA as the Trooper. And uh, he sat down with us a few weeks ago to discuss a myriad of topics working in Japan. He has a brand-new three-disc DVD set available as well, and a very interesting, very interesting conversation with them, just about professional wrestling in general, and uh, about the business itself, and uh, the Patriot, Dale Welks, going to be our guest here in a few moments. But uh, we do want to cover a few things, as, as I mentioned earlier in the broadcast, or when we first came on, we have a brand new Android app. It is available online by going to J-I-G-G-Y-J-G-U-A-R.us. You can stream the show live. You can listen to our 24-7 replay of past shows and programming information. Also, we send out exclusive news through the app, not stuff that we would put on Facebook or Twitter or any of that nonsense. We send it out through the app. And, of course, we do special app broadcasts. There there may be times that... uh, 
we may just send out a, a deal on the app and just do a broadcast for the people who have the app. And no one is going to know on Facebook, Twitter, the website, everything, unless they have the app. So that's that's some interesting stuff. It, it took us a while to get this app put together, and I'm very happy we got this done. And uh, especially in time for all of our uh, haters and the guys who are not friends of ours and the, the tattoo guys and the, uh, the rock and roll guys and all that crap. Because we can track these downloads. And I'll tell you right now, there's a lot of people uh, that claim to hate us who are downloading the app as we speak. It's fantastic. It's fantastic the way the world works. But we're going to get into our conversation with Del Welks, the Patriot. Here today on iHeartRadio, and as always, you can download the iHeartRadio app and uh, search for us on there. We are, uh, we've got a lot of good programming on there as well. And Thursdays, we are live to Central on AMFM247.com. Check out AMFM247.com if you're a radio host or you're a um, an avid listener of talk radio or any type of radio programming. You're going to want to check out amfm 247 Com. Let's get into my conversation with Del Welks, the Patriot, here on a world of things. Chicky Chickwire radio program right now, Del Welks, the Patriot. Welcome to a special edition of iHeartRadio, also uh, the world famous Chicky Chickwire radio program. If you want to get more information on our broadcast, each and every afternoon, 2 Central, 3 Eastern, 12 Pacific, and 1 PM Mountain Standard, Monday through Friday, 24-7 at JiggyJaguar.com. And of course, on the TuneIn apps and Radio Loyalty, and our brand-new Droid app is available at J-I-G-G-Y-J-A-G-U-A-R.us. Selected editions will appear on iHeartRadio. This edition will definitely appear on the iHeartRadio app. And 50-plus AM FM stations in the Jiggy Jaguar radio network. Our telephone number is 267-22-J-I-G-G-Y. And today, we've got a special commercial-free program today. Talking with uh, legendary professional wrestler Del Wilkes. He, of course, is uh, best known in professional wrestling as the Patriot. And I welcome to the broadcast, Mr. Wilkes. How are you, Del? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Pretty good, actually. You have, um, uh, first of all, uh, uh, full disclosure, I'm a huge Patriot fan. So I want to get that out of the way before we, <laughs> before we move forward. Um, now, um, you started in, uh, in professional wrestling straight out of playing college football. Tell me a little bit about how you went from playing uh, the gridiron game of college football to being involved uh, in, in, in professional wrestling with the AWA. Oh, wow. 
Alabama that trained professional wrestlers. It was owned and operated by the fabulous Moolah, Lillian Ellison, one of the famous, or most famous lady wrestlers ever. And it was there that I embarked on my career as a pro wrestler. Now, uh, diff- different, uh, I'm, I'm sure as far as training back then in professional wrestling than it is now, um, have you got a chance to, to, to kind of see what, what they're doing nowadays with, uh, with, with, with the training of, of professional wrestlers? Because I know that you still keep up with the business, and uh, you're, 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 you're still going out and doing conventions and things like that. Um, how different is it to get into the business today as it was when, when you started? Well, a lot of things have changed. Um, I went through middle school, and in all honesty, it was more geared for girls, for women. Uh, there were a few guys that had been through there, and uh, those guys were just weekend warriors, uh, worked small independent outlaw shows, and uh, so they were they trained me and, and probably didn't know a whole lot more than I did, really. Yeah. Uh, so I learned just a very, very simple basics there. Uh, and really taught myself after that. So I probably didn't get the best training. Uh, I know nowadays it's, it, it's a lot more detailed. It's a lot more refined. Uh, not only do they, they go into greater detail than I got with training, but they also include conditioning. Uh, and, and a lot of the former established stars, uh, former guys uh, or girls in the business that were superstars in the business, are heavily involved in training now. Uh, those that had established careers and long careers, uh, I didn't have the, the fortune to be trained by guys like that with that background. Now we've got uh, Del Welch with us today. You know him as the Patriot. Also, he was uh, in the AWA as the Trooper. Um, when when you got into the AWA, going going from uh, the, the training school, uh, getting a shot at the AWA, how, how did you make the transition from the training school to the AWA? Did they seek you out? Did you seek them out? How, how exactly did that come down for you? Well, uh, Moolah would run local shows here in the middle of South Carolina for the, you know, the talent that was uh, going through her school or that worked for her. And Wally uh, McDaniel came to Columbia and worked one of her shows while he had a permanent home in Charlotte, North Carolina. But at the time, he was working for the AWA. He was still working in the ring, but he was also working in the office as a booker and a, a guy that helped develop talent, helped scout talent. And uh, the AWA had a few weeks off. So while he came back to Charlotte where his permanent home was and drove down to Columbia to work on one of the shows that Miller was running here in Columbia, South Carolina, and uh, he spotted me there and uh, took a liking to me. When he got back to Minneapolis, uh, he told Vern Gagne about me and Greg Gagne about me. Uh, and the next thing I know, I was on my way to Minneapolis to work for the AWA. That is awesome. That is awesome. We're speaking with Dale Welks today here on iHeartRadio and also the world-famous Cheeky Chegwire radio program. And... Uh, when when you you went from the AWA you, you won uh, tag team titles there. Um, what what was some of the the, the different uh, things about the AWA that made it different from some of the other wrestling organizations that you would end up uh, going into uh, throughout your career? Well, it was my first first big break. Uh, yeah. We were on ESPN. Uh, five days a week, Monday through Friday, from four to five o'clock in the afternoon. So, in that sense, it was a, it was a huge break for me. It exposed me to a nationwide audience, yeah. and um, it helped get my career started. But it was just a TV 
company. That's all it was at that time. The AWA at one time was the, one of the most powerful, one of the most popular, uh, one of the most productive territories in the wrestling business, but this was no longer the case. In the late 80s when I got there, it was just a TV company that was on life support. And uh, shortly after I got there, um, it flatlined and went out of business. So found it was a great opportunity to be on nationwide TV. I still didn't get an awful lot of ring experience because they only worked maybe four or five times a month just for TV tapings. We did very few house shows and very few spot shows. So again, not really a, a good opportunity to get out on the road on a nightly basis and gain some experience that, that I sure would have, you know, could have used. Now, uh, how, how did you go from the trooper to being the patriot? Because I, I know that uh, you were the trooper in the AWA, you ended up in, in GWF, and, and you were the patriot. Well, what was the transition there like for you? Well, after the AWA folded, uh, I've heard the rumor, and, and those of us in the wrestling business have heard the rumor and speculation that there was going to be another company uh, starting up the Global Wrestling Federation that was going to attempt to compete with WCW and what was in the WWF. Yeah. And um, so it wasn't long after the AWA folded that I got a call from Joe Petitino, who was the guy that um, had the vision of the GWF, and uh, told me that they wanted me in Dallas for Global's very first TV taping. And uh, so they set up me a plane ticket, and uh, all he asked me was to be there. He just he just sent you a plane. He basically just sent you a plane ticket and an itinerary and said, "See you in Dallas." <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. And when, when I got when I got to Dallas, all the talent was staying in the same hotel, and um, literally about three out three hours before our very first taping. Um, Man, I'm getting a lot of feedback in my Yeah, yeah, it's it's our phone system. We we've been working on it all day long. It's <laughs> it's 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 been fun today. But uh okay. go go ahead. You 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 got to Dallas. Everybody was in the same hotel. And uh and you you brought your trooper gimmick with you. Yeah, Joe called my room. He said, "Look, I need you to walk across the parking lot to my room." He said, "I got Desert Storm and Desert Shield. Yep. tell you that the the patriot was a was a really really cool character and uh i know that that watching the old gwf shows that it, it introduced everybody to to people like sean waltman who ended up going on and becoming uh the one two three kid and x Pac. he was the lightning kid down there jerry lynn was down there um that you guys had a lot of these veterans down there as well um Talk to me a little bit about this this feud that you had, or, or sort of a sort of a feud that they tried to tried to get going between the Patriot and the Dark Patriot. Well, Eddie Gilbert came in 
not long after Global was up and running. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, what we'll do is we'll do the end. had a great mind for the business and had good ideas. And uh, he came up with the idea of the Dark Patriot. It was going to be my, you know, my ministry. Uh, oh, yeah. My alter ego. And it was his brother, Doug Gilbert, that was working with the Dark yep. Patriot. Yep. So, uh, so we ran with it and, and uh, you know, had well, I'll tell you that 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 was that was the one thing I liked about those those global shows is that uh, they, like you were saying earlier, they they were trying to compete with the big boys, but the the one thing that I noticed and and I, I, I don't know if they ever tried to address this or not, but there was lots of times where they would do shots of the crowd, and there was hardly anybody there. Um, were were they were they trying to focus more on? the product than trying to get people in the door or what 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 was kind of the feeling back then? Well again, this is an upstart company, so you're you know yeah. you have gotta build that thing. You're not gonna open your doors the first few months. Oh yeah. Yeah. But for the most part they were trying to build interest free T V. Again, they were on ESPN. The same the same time fight that uh, that AWA, AWA had. Yeah. Yeah. And and five days a week too, so you know, if you can take advantage of the fact that you're on Nationwide TV five days a week, hopefully you can build on that, and then you'll start having people come into the building, and then you can branch out to work, you know, other cities and other towns and other states. Yeah. We're talking with Dell Wilkes today here on our broadcast, uh, talking a little bit about his time in Global Wrestling Federation. Now, you end up going from Global, you end up in, in, in all Japan, uh, did did Global fold and then and then you went to all Japan or how how, how did that work? No, I was approached about going to work for Bible before Global folded. I had gone one time a couple of years before and worked as a trooper, and um, and then when they saw me as the Patriot, they uh, they invited me back. So I went back for a three week tour, and uh, I think it was the third night into that three week tour. I didn't go really thinking it was going to turn into a full time fight. Yeah. Three nights in, uh, Baba approached me and offered me a full-time job with all of them. So I accepted it as a night. You know, I notified the guys in Global that I wouldn't be coming back. So uh, did, did they, uh, with with the fact that Joe Pettisino gave you the Patriot gimmick, uh, did you have any issues with with taking that and going to Japan? or, or Because I know that... that Back in the eighties it, it was it was it was commonplace for guys like Randy Savage, Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior, some of these guys to, to own their names. They 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 went through, done all the paperwork, got it all done, and then it seemed like into the nineties, uh, Vince McMahon or Eric Bischoff would, would come up with characters and if you would leave you weren't taking the character with you. Um, how did that work for you? Did you have uh, did you go through and get everything Copy wrote and everything taken care of, or did you just go, well, you gave me the gimmick, it's working, people know me as the Patriot, there's nobody else that's going to be the Patriot, so I'm going to all Japan with it. Well, that's initially how it was. I had Joe's blessing. Uh, I was very grateful and, 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 and had gratitude for what Joe had given me an opportunity to do and to come, and in return, he had the same gratitude towards me, and, and you know, my commitment to that company while I was there, but also, too, you know, he knew that it was going to be a struggle for them to, to maintain. They were having cash flow problems, and, and uh, you know, he, he, didn't, he could see what was going on there as well, too. And yeah. 
my career, so I had his blessings. There was no issues about that at all. Well, that's awesome. That's awesome. Now, now getting into All Japan, you, 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 you'd done some spot shows when you were working with Fabulous Moolah and, and your training. You get into the AWA, which is, a, a, as you said earlier, a TV company. Uh, getting into the GWF, where, where they're, they're trying to get people into the Sportatorium and trying to get people excited about Dallas, Dallas wrestling again, and, and they're doing a television show. Uh, getting into All Japan, you're doing tours. Um, what, was the, what was some of the difficulties adjusting to, to some of these tours? Because I understand you were probably wrestling, what, two, two or three times a day, or, or what, was, what was that like over there? That's cool. Now, uh, being over there, did, did they? Uh, uh, what was what was the treatment like? Because I know when when I listened to you on, uh, on on Steve Austin's podcast, you were saying that that dealing with Baba was kind of like dealing with the mafia. Yeah, it was. Baba was a godlike teacher over uh, uh, person over there. He yeah. was revered. Uh, he, he was he was uh, almost did have that John Gotti quality to him. He just didn't walk up and sit down with Baba and, and, and start talking business with him. He had to request a meeting where Baba sent for you. And, uh, you know, in the <laughs> wow. rain place, the rain time, the location. So it was different. That is that 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 is incredible. Now now with with all Japan, um, did did you ever have any any feelers from New Japan Pro Wrestling or anyone from the other the other wrestling organizations in Japan? Because at that time, there there was a whole bunch of them. Still still sort of is over there. It, it's 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 vastly different from United States wrestling, where uh, there's there's probably two or three major ones, but over there there is. Uh, a plethora of uh, Japanese wrestling organizations. Did you have anybody reach out to you and and try to get you to, to either defect or uh, or was waiting for a contract to be up so they could sign you? Anything like that? No. Uh, they, they, they did business a little different over there. They, they were very honorable in the way they did business. Uh, guys didn't jump ship from one company to the other. Uh, you know, they were very loyal to Baba or to Anoki. And I wouldn't have gone to New Japan had they approached me. I worked for the greatest company at that time. I felt like I'm the face of the earth. We were doing unprecedented business. Uh, I've never worked with a roster of talent anywhere that was that good. I've never worked for a company at any time in my career that put on the quality of matches that all Japan put on. So had they reached out to me, I went to left. I, I worked for a fabulous company with all Japan. Now, with all Japan, you guys, uh, a lot of those matches... Uh, especially like with Stan Hansen being involved and things like that, there, there was a lot of uh, I, I guess you would call it snug. They 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 they, they worked real r- real snug over there. Um, you of course had a football yeah. background. You you you've got your 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 pro wrestling background here, and working with you know guys in the GWF and AWA that there were, there was a lot of tough customers there. Um, did you have to adjust at all to the style that All Japan was doing at that time? Well, uh, 
initially I did. It was it was an adjustment, but I adapted to it pretty quick. I, I've always prided myself on being a good athlete, and athletes adapt, and uh, I adapted very quick. I, I think that's just one of the one of the, the uh, pluses about having that football background and having that athletic background that so many yeah. guys in the business did. Is you, you know there's a toughness toughness that's built in from football and the ability to adapt to, to different things athletically. Now you've got a, a DVD set uh, that's that, that's out for the holidays. That's got a lot of these uh, a lot of these matches. Um, did, did you have to go through and, and get certain permissions from from some of the different uh, companies that are featured on this DVD, or uh, how exactly did you get some of these these matches on there? Because a lot of these th- these are really really good matches. Really? Well, most of the matches that are on there, it's smiling as big as you are a second ago. Yeah. And it's my life going from birth to where I'm at today and everything in between. It was my football background, every stop along the way in my wrestling background. But we only use stuff from all Japan because that's easy to access it on YouTube. Uh, all the other stuff with the AWA, the GWF, yeah. WCW, So I'll take you to your meeting at 5. Yeah. And we'll run the store and get it from the things that are on the road. I mean, uh, all Japan, but that's the best uh, stuff anyway. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're talking with Dell Wilkes today. DellThePatriotWilkes.com is his website. We're going to have a link to it on our website at JiggyJaguar.com, talking uh, about his DVD set today, also talking about uh, just uh, going back through and, and talking professional wrestling and talking about his his career. Um, you go from all Japan. You, you end up with uh, WCW. Um, did this come about because of your work in all Japan, or how exactly did you end up in World Championship Wrestling right around uh, 94 or 95? Eric Bischoff reached out to me when I was in the AWA working as a trooper. Eric was our, was our uh, TV commentator. Oh, yes, yes. Eric did work back then with, with, with AWA, yes. He sure was. And uh, so he was running WCW at the time. And also, Greg Gagne was part of the booking committee, committee at this point with WCW. So oh, well, that's something I never knew. So that I, I, I learned something today. That's pretty awesome. So those guys reached out to me uh, uh, about, you know, coming in and just sitting down with them and, and them laying out some things to me and seeing if I would have an interest in, in going to work for WCW. So I, Atlanta was about a three-hour drive from my home in Columbia, so I drove over and met with them and uh, walked out of there a few hours later with a three-year deal. Wow. Now, uh, what was uh, – were, were you done with All Japan by the time you signed – with with uh, WCW or how how did that all work with uh, with Baba because uh, that <laughs> if if he's got mafia like tendencies and gangster like tendencies uh, how how did that go did, did, did was your deal done with all Japan by the time WCW got a hold of you or how did that work? Well, you never you never signed anything with Baba. Baba did oh. anything with the yeah. Okay, so, well that's yeah. cool. A uh, yeah. little old school there. Very old school. He was an honorable man. He was only mafia-like in the way that you had to approach him. Yeah. He did business in a very honorable way, very, very straightforward, honest way. Uh, I told Eric after I signed my three-year deal, I said, Eric, I owe it to Baba. I'm committed to one more tour over there this year. I said, I need to go back, and I need to, to, to do the tour, and I need to look Bob in the face and let him know 
that I'm going to take an opportunity here at WCW before I can go back to the States and work. Yeah. And so Eric was fine with that. So I went back a few days later and uh, for a three-week tour with uh, Old Japan and just, you know, went to Baba and told him. And Baba was very gracious and very supportive about it and uh, said, look, if you ever want to come back, the door's open. That's awesome. That That's that's pretty awesome. Now, now with these... Uh, what, I always hear about uh, these these wrestling tours in in Japan, and it do you basically go over there for a couple weeks and then you have a week off and then you go back for a couple weeks or how, how does that exactly work over there and how is that different from working you know two or three nights a week with a WCW or a WWE or something like that? Dale, are you still with us, my friend? Dale, can you hear me? Dale, are you still there? I'm here. There we are. There we are. Okay. Well, uh, what 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 I was trying to figure out, Dale, was uh, when when they talk about Japanese tours and you get, and you go over there and you do a couple weeks run and then and then you're off. Um, is how is that different from working five or six nights a week here in the United States for like a WCW or a WWF or something like that? Bob ran 28 weeks a year, and he did it basically at three-week three week tour. There was one four-week tour in the year. There was one two-week tour. The rest were three-week tours. And you'd go for three weeks, and you'd come home for about 14 to 17 days and go back for another three weeks and come home for 14 to 17 days and go back wow. for three weeks. That, that is pretty cool. And, and do, do, you, do you, looking back on it now, after all everything that you've done, uh, did you prefer the, the, the going over and doing the, the Japan tours that way as compared to WWE, WCW, GWF, AWA as far as, you know, working five or six nights a week and then being off? Or, or like with the AWA where you guys did a bunch of TV tapings and then you were off for like several weeks and then more TV tapings and then you're off for several weeks. Is the Japan model better uh, I, I, I guess for you, or was better for you than than the American model of wrestling. Well, I thought it was. Uh, the only drawback was the physicality of it and the toll it took on your body. But when you work twenty eight weeks a year, then you basically have the other half of the year off. And that every time I was home for fourteen to seventeen days, that was fourteen straight or seventeen straight days that I could be with my family yeah. uninterrupted. I had nothing else to do but lift, rest and just spend time with my family. So I really preferred that that travel style. We're talking with Del Welks today, best known as The Patriot, and uh, he's got a brand-new three-disc DVD set out everywhere, and uh, you can order it on his website. We're going to have a link to it on our website as well. And uh, it makes the perfect holiday gift because uh, all the All Japan matches are on there, a lot of great promos, and uh, a, a documentary-style uh, DVD on on the life of Dale Wilkes, the Patriot. Now, being in WCW, you you were teaming with uh, Marcus Alexander Bagwell. You guys uh, had had a pretty pretty good little tag team. You had all sorts of different uh, all sorts of different things happen in WCW. How would you compare your WCW run to some of your other runs? Uh, well, like with the AWA or with All Japan or even GWF. Well, again, when working for WCW, I was working for one of the top companies in the world. Yep. Um, Number two at, at that time. And our, you know, our show came on WTBS. So yep. That's pretty strong. And, oh, yeah. Uh, 
it was just yeah, and a great a great lineup of talent there. And again, you know, we're working every I mean several nights a week and, and working worldwide because that uh, that TV went worldwide. So yeah. you know, I was working with one of the top three companies in the world at the time, and and uh, I'm glad to be back in the states too. Well, and see that 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 too. You've got friends and family that that can watch your matches and 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 can come to the shows and things like that. So I'm sure that was a uh, a pretty cool little deal. Now, as far as WCW did merchandising and things, did you did you and Bagwell have any any T-shirts or any merch that you guys were getting that you guys were were making some money on the side with with that? As far as merch checks goes uh, through WCW or. Yeah, but WCW was really sort of in the, the infancy stages of doing that. Yeah. Uh, they had really really just started doing it, so, you know, they never wore big checks. But, yeah, there were Patriot masks being sold. There were stars and stripes, uh, trading cards, and, and other things with our likeness on it. But uh, nothing to the level of what the WWF, you know, or WWE does. Oh, yeah. Or would do. Oh, yeah. We've got uh, Del Welks with us today, the Patriot. Now, now you you go from WCW back to All Japan. Um, what was there a, I guess a, a blow up or a dif- difference in decision making, or or did All Japan offer you a deal? How, how did you go from WCW, where you're, where you're making pretty good money, I would assume, back to All Japan, where you're going to be making pretty good money, but. Uh, what was what was there a transition there in in ninety five that that brought you back to all Japan? Well, just the direction of the company and, and the way we were being used. Uh, you know, uh, after I'd been there for a while, they they scored that big coup from uh, WWF and brought Hulk Hogan in, yep. Randy Savage, yep. and Brutus Beefcake, and Jim Duggan. So it became the Hulk Hogan the- show after a while. Yeah, exactly right, and, and, and those, those guys that had come from WWF, and the rest of us were put on the back burner, and uh, I was just unhappy with that, and so I reached out to Bob, because like I told you earlier, I've left Bob on good terms. I oh, yeah. I like a man and did handle business the right way, so he said, anytime you want to come back, you can, so I reached out to them. They were open to it. I set up a meeting with Eric, and I had a year left on my three-year deal, and I tried to talk Eric into letting me out of it. I was up front with him. And said, look, I've got a chance to get back to Japan, and I'm not going to be competing with you or competing against you. And uh, if you'll let me out, we'll part ways peacefully. And uh, he just wouldn't do it. And uh, so I left anyway. I just walked out <laughs> on him and no-showed him at, a, at a, uh, an event, and I think in Tupelo, Mississippi. Yeah. So uh, now I, I'm assuming that... You know, the usual stuff happened. I'm sure Eric and, and, and all the WCW guys threatened all sorts of things. Uh, I'm, I'm sure nothing came of it. Or, or, did they, or did they just, you know, you left, so that was the end of it? Well, they, they did threaten me when I no-showed that night at the building. The only person that knew I wasn't going to be there was Bagwell, my tag team partner. <laughs> I owed that to him. Yeah. I owed that to him. And, uh, but immediately Eric started calling my house and, threatening uh, my wife at the time, threatening her with different things. And, of course, he sent a, a legal, had his legal team draw from of course. to me and Baba. Yeah, absolutely. But Baba and I got together and agreed that uh, we'd just ignore it and that he would probably go away if we did. It was basically just, just a lot of chest pounding and, Things like that. It, it it nothing ever really came of it. That that's that's good because because that wouldn't have yeah. been 
That would have been just lawsuits and attorneys and all sorts of shenanigans and nonsense. Yeah, Eric's Eric focus was on other things besides Dale Wilkes at that time. He was yeah. A, you know, he was so far up hugging he couldn't, he couldn't see straight. So, yes. Uh, you know, Dale Wilkes leaving the company wasn't going to, you know, put any kink at anything there. Was, was, wasn't going to screw up the creative direction of the whole company. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> now, uh, now, when you got back to All Japan, you, you, you did a lot of work there. Um, you were there for, what, two or three years after after leaving WCW? Yeah, uh, probably about two and a half years. Wow. Now, uh, what what was some of the some of the different things compared to when the first time you were in All Japan to now? What was the what was the differences like? What, what had had things progressed or changed or, or anything comparing your last All Japan run to your second? No, not really. The only thing that had changed is, is there was some some roster changes. Terry Gordy was no longer a part of of uh, you know the the main American guys. Terry had yeah. some tragic things happened to him. Um, uh, there were some just some roster changes, but business was still smoking hot like it was when I left. And I came back at even a better spot. They even pushed me even more when I got back the second time. So it was still business as usual, like it was when I left the first time. Do you think that you got the uh, the the better push because you you had you had done some stuff in America and you had left on good terms with Baba, and so it was like more of a, uh, uh, I guess. You know, they, they, they figured, well, you, you respected us, we'll respect you, and kind of give you a little bit bigger of a push than you had the last time? Yeah, and they pushed the snot out of me the first time. But, yeah. you know, <laughs> when I was in WCW, it, even though it, it didn't end up the way I envisioned it, still Marcus and I were world tag team champs twice. So yep. That's a, that's a pretty good thing. So, yeah, you know, I'd had success in WCW on that worldwide TV. And then so they brought me back in and, and put me even at a you know a higher spot than I was when I left before. Well, I'll I'll, I'll tell you that that is that is one thing that uh, I've I've noticed just in my time of being a professional wrestling fan and interviewing a lot of the guys, uh, the the people of Japan they they have a real respectable way of doing things over there, and uh, wh- whether it's all Japan back in the day, New Japan now, so some of the other. Uh, some of the other companies that are over there, they uh, Muda's, Muda's company that he's got, um, they they really respect the heck out of out of the wrestlers. And it, it, is that because they're such they know the, the the toll that it takes on the getting into the business, sustaining yourself in the business, and taking the bumps that you guys do. Well, I think that's got something to do with it. And also, too, I, I think it was just the Japanese way. Uh, not that there aren't honorable Americans involved in the wrestling business here. Oh, but, yeah. You know, there are some shady characters and there have been some shady dealings. But I know for working firsthand with Mr. Baba, that did not exist with him. I, I had a wonderful career and I had great success at every stop uh, along my journey in the professional wrestling business. But the highlight of my career, the most enjoyable time in my career, and the most satisfactory time in my career, were my two stints in all Japan, just because of the way Baba did business. Yeah. And uh, and also to the wonderful talent, uh, talented guys that I got to work with. So that, that that will always be the highlight of my career, just because of the Japanese way of doing things. Well, and you you worked with a, a lot of uh, a, a lot of great Japanese and American talent over there. Um, 
Furnace and Lafon, uh, a lot of these, a lot of these guys, Johnny Ace, you know, just Kenta Kobashi, all, all these guys that uh, that that were that were major stars over there. Um, comparing the way that uh, wrestling fans in the United States treat the wrestlers here. Uh, way back in the day, not now, because now I think a lot of the professional wrestling fans are barbarians with some of the weird crap that they do and chant and social media, I think, is really just added to all of that. But um, how, how did the Japanese fans treat you guys over there? Because I know that just from hearing stories from, from various folks and seeing uh, things like uh, back in the day with the Japan Super Show with WCW, uh, the way that they treated Sting and Muda and, and some of these guys and uh, Fujinami and, and, and all the diff- various uh, people that have wrestled over there. What what was the fan reaction like wrestling in Japan? Well, it was phenomenal. Um, it, it, was a, it was a different crowd. Um, you know, you could, you could spend the first ten minutes in the ring and just move after move and not get a response from them. But then at the finish, you know, if you could put together a smoking hot finish, uh, they would just be, you know, crazy. I mean, delirious, just raising the roof off of the building. Uh, could deliver a beautiful drop kick and not get a response early in a match. But then the next night, you could lock up with a guy back in the end of the ropes, get a clean break, and the place went crazy. <laughs> so, you know, they were a little unpredictable at times in their responses. Uh, but at the end, if you had them going during that finish, that's all that counted, and it seemed like every night we were able to do that and capture that, and that was the most important part of the match anyway. But they were also very knowledgeable fans. They were very gracious fans. They were very polite fans. They weren't the in-your-face kind of fans that you could deal with an American yeah. crowd at times. We've got Del Welks, the Patriot, with us today here in our broadcast, and uh, wrestling in AWA, GWF, All Japan, WCW, All Japan again, uh, eventually, uh ending up in uh, WWE. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the finishes, how, how some of these some of these finishes come about. Um, I, I know that there's – I've worked with some indie promotions where usually what they do is they tell these guys, hey, you know, uh, here's the finish. This is who's going over. Um, go out and just have the match. Um, then there's certain places like like I've heard WWE they they have this big complicated you know finish that that you have to go through and I remember uh, hearing different things from the old ECW where they said well they they had a winner and then however you got there is however you got there um, wrestling in the AWA and and going on through. Um, what what was what was that like when they'd come up to you and say, okay, you know, you you guys are wrestling tonight. Here's the finish. Or how how did things go? And kind of compare that through the different organizations throughout the years that you worked with. Well, everywhere I ever worked, you were given you know who was who was going over and, and who was getting their hand raised, and yeah, uh, you would get that. But in, in in most companies, it was left up to you how to get there. Um, now, in Japan, it was a different monster altogether. It was a different deal. Uh, you could have a, a quick finish in the States, but in Japan, that was the most important part of the night. That was the most important part of every match was the finish. So the finishes were long. They were drawn out. It was false finish after false finish after false finish. 
I mean, just one-two kick out, one-two kick out, one-two kick out. And all that had to be memorized. None of that was left to chance. I mean, wow. I knew exactly what we were going to do. So it was all, uh, I don't know you were expected, but it was done from memory. Yes, yes. And, and that must be... That must be a nightmare. When when they come to lay that out to you, uh, how exactly does that go? They just sit, you know, whoever's working down and say, okay, here's here's the finish. And then you've pretty much just got to f- go out there and pray to God that you get the finish right. Well, we were fortunate in that most places we could get together if, if – Ace and I, Johnny Ace and I, were working against Kabashi and Mazawa. We could get together with those guys, and we could hash out a finish. Now, not all buildings allowed us to do that. The layout of the building could be different. And if we couldn't get with those guys, then the referee would bring the finish over from the Japanese guys and go over with us. We would make changes, send those changes back to him. He would give it to them, then he would run back to our side of the building, and he would go back and forth like that until everything, everybody agreed on everything. And uh, because all parties had to agree, you know, on, on what was going to be done throughout the course of the finish. Wow. <laughs> that is that is amazing. Um, did you ever screw anything up? <laughs> did you ever, did you ever I, like, miss an arm bar when you were supposed to do a hip toss? Or Oh, absolutely, yes. I mean, that, that happens, you know, you're just humans and, Especially over there, if you took a spin kick upside the head and you're you're halfway through a finish and all of a sudden you don't know where you're at, uh, you're certainly not going to remember what's next. See, that's the thing that, that just sounds like a nightmare because you, you not only have the complicated finishes that you have to go through that, that, are, that are laid out step by step, but at the same time they're working so snug over there. <laughs> that if, like you were saying, if you screw up, you've screwed up big time. Oh, yeah. I, I've had several occasions, and I told the story not long ago, but Furnace and I one night in the finish in front of 18,000 people uh, on a belly-to-belly off the top turnbuckle, you know, bumped heads. And when I say bumped, I mean we slammed heads together. Holy And we're both laying there in the middle of the ring, and <laughs> neither one of us knew where we were at. We, I didn't know what was next. He didn't know where we were at. He didn't know who I was, and we were in a mess. My Lord. We've got uh, Del Welks with us today, the Patriot, and uh, we're going to wrap up here with, with Del. I, I appreciate him making making time for us today. I definitely want to want to have you back because this is a, this has definitely been a, a, a big uh, big deal for me because uh, I've always been a fan of yours. I uh, I enjoy your stories. You you you've 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 got some incredible incredible stories, and uh, I definitely want to have you back when we can talk a little bit more about uh, going from all Japan to WWE, and also uh, uh, talking about some of the different things that are going on in professional wrestling. Because as you said, you're you're a wrestling fan for you got into the business. I'm sure that you still watch wrestling. I'm sure it, it, you're you're making appearances at conventions and things like that. Um, it's definitely been an honor today, Dell. Uh, before we let you go, is there is there anything uh, you want to get out there or get off your chest about your career or anything at this point? Well, I just want to let folks know that uh, I'm you know, appreciative of their support throughout my career. And uh, uh, one thing that I would like to get straight, there's been some controversy going on for a while now 
about the fact of whether or not I sold the Patriot gimmick to Tom Brandy. <laughs> oh, yeah, I heard about that a couple years ago. Yeah, that, that never happened. That is a lie. Uh, nothing could be farther from the truth. Tom Brandy has just taken it upon himself to basically take my resume and adapt it as his to dress up as the Patriot and to go around working as Del Wilkes to sell Del Wilkes pictures, uh, oh to tell people God. that he is Del Wilkes. So he has just basically, you know, just assumed my identity, and I guess he thinks a lot of me. I guess I, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm had a big part in Tom's career. Apparently so you did. Yeah. So I want to get wow. that Wow. But, well, uh, see, I'd heard, I'd heard about that in a couple different wrestling magazines and things a couple years ago, where he was going out and he was the Patriot and all this stuff, and I, and and I'd always thought what was what I hadn't heard anything about the the, the thing about you selling the gimmick uh, that. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.